This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Program. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with my teammates Jeffrey Simpson, Terry South. The gang's all here. Ready to uh, give you a leg up in life. It's not easy. It's not easy being on the earth today. So much easier back in the day of the plague. Well, that's back, by the way. Oh, is the, pl- the plague is Madagascar, back. Madagascar, that's right. I forgot. 57 people have... Uh, plague you, is still raging. How do you make that argument, by the way? Well, technology is so hard. Complicated. Hmm. Lots of competition today. So just different problems. Well, and the Kardashians. I mean... That's a good point. Many say a plague of their own. I mean, if you're anti-Kardashian. Right. Anywho, we got a great show for you today. We um, Some people think death, you know, is the end of a career. But we've got a great uh, interview talking about the fact that maybe if your music career has stalled a bit, maybe what you need to do is die, and it'll just pick your career right back up. Really? A lot of record sales. Like an increase of like 560% of record sales after you die than being alive. Unless you're Prince, then it's like, I can't remember the numbers, crazy, like 160,000% increase in, in Prince yeah. uh, music sales after he died. Well, as they say, sometimes you don't realize what you've got until it's gone. Wow. Yeah. That was emotional. God, he got really teary at the yeah, end. Yeah, verklempt even. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> a great way to put it. Uh, so we will be talking about that. And boy, um, talk about turnarounds. Talk about a near-death experience that then brought back love and joy. McConnell and Trump seem to be on a love fest that is unparalleled. I think they're unified in purpose. Yeah. They need taxes to this go through. love music from the 70s. Or they may lose, say, the house. Mm-hmm. And they kind of need that if they want to get the rest of the agenda through. It's, it's an important thing that they're finally together on. The house thinks they can get their tax... A proposal through by Thanksgiving. That's like 15 working days. Wow. And then the Senate has a deal, and so they got to try to figure out how to make those two things work yeah. and then get that before the end of the year. How many working days do we have between now and Thanksgiving? Quite a few more than 15. Oh. They got a good gig. They don't even have to work. I mean, don't get me wrong. We don't work that much. I mean, to be honest. Well, yeah. But... We work at least three times more than well, yeah, Congress absolutely, yeah. Senate. <laughs> hmm. But they're all back to work today. That's good. There's lots of lunches happening, lots oh, of yeah. committee meetings. Lots of chicken being... Cold rubber chicken. Mm. Mm. Maybe the fish. Hey, we, sure. we had a lunch yesterday. Yeah, we did. We had, we had a great broadcasting, BYU broadcasting meeting. It was a I, retreat. I left invigorated and excited. You did? Yes. I, I kind of left. But you left early. I did. Well, you, you missed had to the get movie. To the kids. I was invigorated after that. Yeah. You left. could have been paid to watch Moneyball. That was Doesn't great. Get any better than that. I loved it. Yeah. I, I took a quick little nap during that, but I'd seen, I've seen Moneyball many times. I read the book. Oh, you did? Yeah, so I went, eh. It's the, no, but the it was movie's great. not as good as the book. Let's put it that way. <gasps> but the, ta- wow. the the debrief was really interesting too. How mm. Moneyball applies to our organization. Right. Yeah, we wonderful. talked about it for a good hour and a half. It seems. Yeah, I, but I I've, I'm invigorated. My phone by lunch was down to fifty percent. I'm like, I'm not going to make it to the end of this day. 
my phone's just going to so die. That's why you took off. There's, I, well, I, he's I, got kids. I got through all my email and went through Twitter like three or four times. Like, I have nothing else to kill time with here. No, what do you mean? Huh? What? Kill time. I'm sorry. Hmm. It yeah. seems like there were a lot of things being discussed that weren't going to be solved in that meeting. No, but that's but but they were announcing certain things. Well, I mean, the announcements were made in the newspaper over the weekend. You left yeah. before they made the announcement that the Matt Townsend show is now going to be at ten o'clock and not seven o'clock. Okay, there we go. So you guys didn't say that. You said you know they, they didn't we tell just, you that. We just thought we'd wait. Hey, I just found that out. We just thought we'd wait and. Until you showed up at 7. I'm guessing that's not <laughs> happening. It's not happening. Okay, just listeners, we're not moving times yet. <laughs> we're not moving times ever. Probably. You're, gonna, you're getting it in their head that we're moving times. I just said, you know, things can always change. Yeah, that's a good point. Don actually told me we'd have this time slot forever. Really? Yeah. Ugh. Kind of an early time slot. A little bit. I'm not a morning person. That's been well established. I would like the 8 p.m. show. There are methods to uh, <laughs> to help you with that. I did. Last night I went to sleep. There you go. I slept a full eight hours last night. Wow. What? What's that? I don't know. I went to bed like at 9 in the morning. That's like a, sa- not, that's a Saturday at thing. At I do that on the weekends. Do you? Yeah. I had a really long I've had so, a lot, I've had some time off the last few days. Mm, this is true. And I still didn't feel like I had slept enough. Well, Woe is me. My life is sad. Anyway, we got a great show for you. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South to get caught up. Terry, what should we be focusing on? Four U.S. soldiers killed in Niger were ambushed by a group of 50 ISIS-affiliated fighters, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Joseph Dunford said Monday in a press conference. Dunford said the U.S. soldiers were part of an approximately 800 troop force in the region. That number there surprised members of Congress. They're like, Whoa. we have how many people there? In Africa. In Africa? Oh, are you, were you guys going to say, hey, by the way? And uh, apparently they're on committees that should know and they But then know. somebody said, because it's, uh, oh, it was uh, Secretary Haley's like, what's going on in Africa is going to spark more and more terrorists. Right. It's creating more terrorists. Just They come from a different region now. Yeah. The general further confirmed that one of the deceased soldiers became separated from his unit during the ambush. And while many questions remain surrounding the death incident, Dunford declared, I think we owe the families and American people transparency. Mm-hmm. I've read other places mm-hmm. that if you're very concerned about Benghazi, you should be concerned about this incident also. Yeah. Not just politics, but actually concerned about what's happening with our military and armed forces and people serving our country. Senator John McCain on Monday blasted the media for characterizing his swipe at people who were granted deferments from the Vietnam War as an attack on President Trump. Speaking on C-SPAN, the senator said it was unfair that poor people were drafted into the service while the highest income level found a doctor that would say they had a bone spur, which is what exactly President Trump used to get out of serving in Vietnam. He got some deferments because he had bone spurs. Yeah, but a bone spur. He can't remember which foot, but it was bad and it was tremendous, but he was able to recover. So So McCain's now taking on, I mean, McCain, a war hero, five and a half years held captive. Right. And now he's taking on the president who had a bone spur. He says he isn't. He's not, but he's he is, he, he he just, is disparaging. He just mentioned the, the exact dodgery. ailment that Trump said that he used yeah. to get a deferment. Okay, yeah. So, I, what do you think? Do you think he was going after the president, or do you think yeah. he was just picking a random ailment that could get you a deferment? Well, he he just picked. But no matter what it is, it's you're it's you're having that from a guy that was captive. 
Yes. And beat up and. But it's okay. He was captured, and yeah. that may not be the best that's, kind of. That's not hero. a good hero. Such an ailment was cited by Trump to avoid military service during the war. But McCain, who was held as a prisoner of war in Vietnam for five years, insisted on Monday that he wasn't talking about the commander in chief. He was, I was against that forty years ago. McCain told reporters, "So for you people to say that I am taking a shot at Trump over that, then you people don't know my record. It is unfair and unequal. The rich people didn't serve, and poor people did. It has nothing to do with President Trump." There's some, he was one of the rich people. There's some talk about maybe reinstituting the draft. Yeah. Because we, we, have, we, we have need for more people as we're expanding a little bit here and there all around with mil- apparently 800 people, 800 troops in Africa. So we need, we need troops when people aren't signing up. Recruitment yeah. efforts aren't being as fruitful. So like, hey, what about the draft? And people are like, well, then let's change the rules because it ends up that the draft ended up uh, bringing in a lot of middle class and poor people. But rich people were able to get out of it. Sure. No, that's true. And then he mentioned bone spurs, and then it turned. Well, but you know what else thing. would be fascinating to find out is where they're coming from. Are more poor people coming from the middle of America, or from the big coastal cities? Right. To join the military, and are there more minorities? Because there might be mm-hmm. more minorities that are poor. Sure. And I mean, you know, there's. The draft or the the ability to go enlist does help a lot of poor people pull themselves out, get it educated. Does. But so it's a it's a it's a touchy issue whenever the draft totally. comes up. But this made yeah. it worse by dropping bone spurs. Maybe he could have said <laughs> flat feet or something. Who knows? Yeah. According to interviews with dozens of storm victims, one of the busiest hurricane seasons in years has overwhelmed federal disaster officials. As a result, the government's response to the two biggest affected states, Texas and Florida, has been scattershot. Effective in dealing with immediate needs, but unreliable at times, inadequate in handling the aftermath. Handling the aftermath. Thousands of people face unusually long delays in any basic disaster assistance. People who call FEMA's helpline have waited on hold for two, three, four hours, even just to speak to a representative. Wow. Four hours? That's unbelievable. And that's in Texas and Florida, so what about Puerto Port- Rico? Puerto Rico, you do, there's... You're just standing in a line without any fun. There's some funding votes that are going to happen today to see if they can get more money kind of to infuse FEMA because apparently their disaster budget has been uh, taking a huge hit oh, this yeah. year with fires and everything wow. else. So wow. We'll see where that goes later today. And finally, a driver in Montreal apparently got a little too carried away while grooving to a favorite song. Now he's going to court to defend his singing voice. From 38-year-old, this is the song. Really? He was jamming away. Oh, but this you is can't a great blame him. Song. This is a great song. This is where you would tap your toe on the accelerator. The 38-year-old man pulled over. Officers asked if he'd been screaming. He said, no, I was just singing along to this song by CNC Music Factory, Everyone Dance Now. So he's probably singing that yeah, one yeah, part. Yeah. Uh, the officers unswayed, then issued him a $118 ticket for screaming in a public place. What? What? He goes, I don't know if my voice was very bad, but that's why I got the ticket. But I was very shocked. Now, he's now waiting for a court date so he can explain to the judge what happened and presumably avoid the fine for disturbing the peace. Would he have to sing this the way he was singing it in court? Yeah, probably. So he's, so he's walking in with a big stereo and hit and play. Well, to this is a out. public service. This Could isn't you, disturbing the peace. You can't really do this with a phone, a yeah. phone speaker. You need a big stereo setup. Right. What were you trying to do? I was trying to get everyone to dance now. 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 Yeah. You can't do that quietly. He likens this situation to uh, happy Montreal fans screaming in their cars when the Canadians 
uh, win a hockey game. Yeah. Apparently, they win a hockey game and people just scream and go nuts. Yeah, well, he well, did it and got a fine. They get it and they get patted on the back for being a good fan. Come on. So his wife may have had the best take of all, though. She heard him singing and says, I think he should have been fined. Maybe doubled. What? Apparently, he's not a naturally born singer. Well, but Sounds like a couple that needs to come visit you. Yeah. She That's thinks, a silly fight. She thinks the fine should be doubled. I think they just ought to make him go out in a public square yeah. with his ghetto blaster. Is that what they call them today? Stereos. Not yeah. today, but yeah. At one point they did. Those are the coolest things. People don't even really carry those around anymore. Yeah, they no, don't have that big shoulder. Phones. Yeah. And um, and I think they ought to make him sing or do that song and dance. Now. Now. Mm. And get everybody dancing now. I think that would unify the nation. Uh-huh. By CNC Music Factory? Yeah. You think it's up to them? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well. Who hears the song and doesn't start dancing now? Well, apparently that cop. It's horrible. That cop's got an attitude. That cop should be thrown in jail. Mm. Boy, that's aggressive. <laughs> you even had the jail sound ready. Inflammatory, even. Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems like we're losing our cool. I mean, that, there's nothing cooler than that. Mm. I mean, you could sing R E S P E C T. You could. You know, maybe the, maybe that's where you ought to go with it. Okay. Maybe you ought to do like a a whole disc where th- it's all of his favorite songs, and he could just take it into the court, and then just start dropping songs. At least he wasn't singing "I Shot the Sheriff." <laughs> that would have been really bad. That's a good point. That's true. It's a very violent time to be trying <laughs> to use that song anywhere. Wow, um, I, are we all just getting too uptight? Is that what is that what's happening here? Probably. Yes. Can't we all just get along? No. In well, the immortal words of Rodney King, we've been asking that for how long now? Since Rodney Since King, the nineties, was like ninety two, I think ninety one. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we're always going to have conflict, but it seems like everyone's on edge, even in Canada. Yeah, in Canada, they're supposed to be really nice up there. Well, they are nice, but uh, that's not nice. Why wouldn't the cop understand that he was just singing along to a, a song? You Man. would think Canada would be the, the best place for that. Be yeah. the safest place for that. In fact, aren't they saying now uh, Colin Kaepernick may go to Canada? Well, they do have a league. And and he would have more. Would he? Probably would he, have, I mean, it's set up so that you could do that kind of stuff. The field is d- different dimensions. It's wider. Oh, he could run more. Maybe run more. They have uh, one less down. So we only have three downs instead of four, so it kind of promotes kind of a wilder, more open offense, and that's kind of how he likes to play. Yeah. Maybe BYU should go to Canada. Maybe yeah. they do. Let's... <laughs> Don't hate I'm on, on a roll today, apparently. Well, apparently, and you have the button hmm. that makes everything sound funny. You have the funny button. It's like a funny bone, but it's a button. Hmm. Um, BYU struggled. BYU football. Well, it was good at halftime. It was like 10-10. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't call that a good score, it's though. It's fine. I mean, 10, they weren't 10 out of it. with one of the worst teams in the country. It's fine. BYU's not one of the best teams in the country. I think people were forgetting the fact that BYU was right there with them. Yeah, but but were we? Because we had just been rolled by three top 20 teams. So right. then you start thinking, eh, maybe we're not that bad. And you start talking yourself into that. And then you play one of the worst teams and you get rolled. Reality clocks you over the head. Yeah. Do you think if they hadn't had those three games against some of the top teams that maybe their confidence would have been boosted a little bit? You'd think that, huh? No. We'll never know. I'm not sure. Because they still probably just didn't have the goods. 
Maybe. They didn't have it on Saturday. Boy. But now they're playing San Jose State. Is that who they're playing? I think so. San Jose State University. Aren't they up next? And that's, you know, that they'll win that. Will they? They were supposed <laughs> to win last week. <laughs> you know who does have the goods? Who? Uh-oh. Who? It'll be in, you'll just turn on your TV, Fox, tonight at 6 p.m. Oh, the Dodgers. Mountain Time. The World Dodgers. Series. Yeah. Game one of the World Series. Now we have three topics that Jeff will talk about. Mm. The Dodgers. Yep. Nachos. Nachos. And there's one other. Movies. Movies. You can combine all of them. I'm sure Terry's going to have like a a window in window screen going on tonight. I want Uh, Houston to win. I love the Dodgers. Don't get me wrong. Since Steve Garvey days, I love the Dodgers. However, I want the Astros. Is that just because you feel bad for what they're going through right now? Houston deserves it. They've never won a World Series. But they were saying that there could be wildfires during the game tonight in L.A. So why not L.A.? Well, I feel bad for L.A. too, but L.A.'s won, what, six World Series. So it's probably close so to being I, true. I'm actually thinking I'm going to go for the Astros. I'm going to shoot for the Stars, hmm. the Houston Astros. Wow. Oh, that, was, that was inspiring. <sighs> Thank you. Plus, I like Orange and Nolan Ryan. Do you remember Nolan? Oh, I remember Nolan. He's not involved at all, is he? I doubt it. I think he's running a minor league team in Round Rock, but that's different. Oh, that's hard. But that was several years ago. I'm not sure if he's still involved there. You know what? All I care about is that everybody dance now. Right now. You really like that? I don't like it. Should it be screamed or should the the guy have maybe had more of a melodic tone to his There is no melodic tone to this. There isn't? It's just you rip it. Rip it to your vocal should cord he le- strain. Should he have left the windows rolled up in his car Mm-mm. and not shared it with share the world? It. This is the song you share with everybody. <laughs> These male dancers are ripped, by the way. Yeah, they are. Man. They remind me of me. Well, they do work in a music younger. factory. That is true. Right? So it's it's hard labor. Just pumping out work. the music. In a musical sense. Where do you work? I work at a music factory. <laughs> Making music all day long. Like a pirate. I don't know why I went to a pirate voice there. Anyway, up next, we're going to be talking about the power of music after death. It's still a great career move. Uh, you can make a lot of money if, you, if you're a well-known artist and you pass away. It may not be worth the final price, though. You still might want to be alive. Straight ahead on the Matt Townsend Show. Back with the face, pajamas live in effect. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans. Way back up in the woods among the evergreens. Welcome back. A little Chuck Berry for you. Oh, you got to love that. Go, go. Hey, uh, Jeff uh, Snyder is going to be joining us. We've been talking about, um, you know, who doesn't love great music, right? And artists make a lot of money for record companies and for their families when they produce a really good number. But when they die, their album sales actually go up and they make even more money. As uh, more music divas and legends have been passing away, there is less and less money for the companies to make. Here to speak with us today is Jeff Snyder, the director of the music industry program at Lebanon Valley College. He's a music professor there as well. Jeff, thank you for your time. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. So really, in a weird way, uh, I guess dying for many of these um, musicians, it's a pretty good career move as far as record sales goes. (laughs) It's probably the best thing that could happen to them. 
especially as their careers have waned. Yeah. Suddenly they have a huge spike. It's, that's kind of sad, but, but you, you can see it. We saw it with Prince. We saw it with a, a lot of uh, – in fact, Bob Marley continues to sell records and, and make a, a big impact. What, what is it about um, – I mean, what is it about their death that all of a sudden makes their music become even more important? Uh, well, there's a couple ways to look at it, but what I'm seeing overall from a wide perspective is that it is our generation, my generation, that's dying. Um, that, you know, we look upon these artists like Tom Petty and Greg Allman, and we associate them with our, our youth. I mean, when these guys were young and fiery, we were too. Now that they're falling off, we're starting to see a bit of our own mortality uh, in a way. And so when somebody like Tom Petty dies, it's like a piece of us has died. Mm. And so we're pulled emotionally, uh, almost in a wake, uh, almost like a family member has died because it, it represents everything we are as a generation. That's so true, isn't it? it re- so it's, it's everybody trying to hang on to it. Plus, it's I even see with my, yo- my younger kids, when um, when some of these legends die, it, it's almost the first time they even hear their music. And exactly. then they jump on kind of the bandwagon as well. But very briefly, and, and what's happening is when Michael Jackson died, for instance, um, there was no Spotify hadn't come to the United States yet. Pandora had almost filed bankruptcy the year before. So this huge rush to buy his records um, had to be sales. So if you wanted to buy his records, you had to, to either download Thriller or buy the album, and they'd run out of albums for two weeks. So that was the first big rush to download digital albums. But now, when you talk about your kids, you know what do they do? They just call up a couple of songs on Spotify, Yeah, and it's like eating french fries. And then they just move on to the next meal, uh, whereas you and I, well, I'm assuming you, you yeah. look pretty young, yeah. used to sit and listen to a record from beginning to end over and over and over again until it became almost an appendage. We knew every word, you know, every, every melody. Oh, it's so true. Um, in fact, uh, one of the things – you did a wonderful article in Newsweek about untimely death, still a great career move is what it was titled. And you, you get into some of the numbers. Talk about the numbers because the percentage of increase in record sales at, posthumously, it's, it's mind-boggling. Talk about uh, some of the impact that you've seen. Well, the most recent, obviously, sadly, is Tom Petty. And um, so I've been able to follow that pretty closely over the last couple of weeks. And uh, as a music act, for instance, um, his sales went up over 10,000 percent. And they like to go by percentages, but and I'll say why this isn't exactly um, true uh, when you use percentages. But his albums went up to 54 percent. Um, he had over 7 million streams. Um Hmm. What else? Uh, you know, the last time he was in the charts was 2014, and now he's had his best-selling record um, at number two for a couple of weeks. Uh, within 24 hours, uh, he had sold 55,000 albums, up from a week the day before, just a thousand. Wow! And uh, Prince, as you know, we all know, he 3.5 million, you know, albums. He was the number one selling artist last year, dead. I mean, Unbelievable. Really bad, but, yeah. you know, that's where he rose to because uh, of his passing. 
Does it matter how they die? Uh, Does it matter if it was, you know, kind of expected versus, you know, a surprise? I don't think it's it's a surprise for our generation. (laughs) Because when we hear that, you know, somebody died of an overdose, well, that's how they all died. Yeah, that's how Uh, we think, huh? Or you know we, we we're we're sort of uh, immune to the the way they die, uh, as compared to you know what it represents and how it pulls from us. I mean the early guys like uh, Cobain mm-hmm. and John Lennon and those guys they they went into Never Neverland. You know they are eternally young. You know we see them as martyrs for the cause. Mm. But when we see these guys dying of old age or getting dementia, you know, we start to look at ourselves and go, my God, that's me. You know, that's, these are the guys I grew up with. These are my friends. And, you know, rock and roll has become, uh, you know, the rock of the aged instead of the ages. <laughs> the rock of the aged. Um, do you see, because it's one thing, I guess, the fans are, are driving a lot of this, but it seems like, too, the companies must be realizing the value of this. How do you see, you know, the record labels taking advantage of this? Oh, they, they, you know, Dave Bowie knew he was dying, but he put out another record. You know, it, it was, it was ready to go. Um, the whole industry looks at these guys um, as a, a windfall. Uh, it look, if you look at the tours, uh, last year, last year, the top tours uh, that were on the road, the, the biggest money makers. Uh, 43 of the musicians were above 50 years old, 17 were above 60, and eight were above 70 years old. Huh. You know, so you have uh, everybody from, you know, Paul McCartney and and all of these guys who are breaking in tons of money as we all rush uh, to to see them. Uh, there was the I forget what it was called. There was a festival um, in October earlier this month where it was just nothing but the old guys. Uh, matter of fact. Uh, um, one of the guys said he was glad they actually made it that far. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was Paul McCartney, The Who, you, you know, that bunch. It was a festival, and um, they brought in over $200 million. Holy cow. Over 1000 But my generation, again, you know, we're retiring. Yeah. We have money. You have the money. Uh, and, and we don't mind spending it to go back and see our friends one more time. Well, yeah. And again, it, like it, it seriously, it's like a, it's like an injection from the fountain of youth. It it, right. it buys you another weekend of joy and pleasure. So, if a young, young, young uh, artist today, let's say somebody really popular, I won't name a name. I don't want to curse anybody. Um, but if somebody young died today, would they have the same impact? Would they be like immor- like a Kurt Cobain, immortally? Uh, put into Never Never Land, or it, does it also depend on the market that has the money, and, and are they going to stay popular long enough? What you're asking is somebody like Adele. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. Years from now, uh, will this generation uh, feel like feel a loss? And um, I personally don't think so, and the reason is because uh, the distribution points, what we fed on, we were young, was very, very limited. We were told what to eat. We all ate the same thing, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all watched the same cartoon. So that's why we know who the Jetsons are. This generation, there's so much coming in, the millennials, from so many directions. It's sort of like we used to sit in front of the Mona Lisa and stare at it until we got it. 
these guys, they see the Mona Lisa like a billboard going by on the highway. It's just they see it, but they don't, you know. Consume it. They don't consume it, right. And I think that's going to be the same with Adele or Taylor Swift. Um, and even though they're selling a lot of records, they're still not hitting, you know, the, the huge amount of records that were sold in the past. I mean, Titanic sold over 9 million records in one year. Wow. And we don't, you know, necessarily um, care about that. Backstreet Boys. So even the record sales now, because of streaming and stuff, has plummeted. Um, with Tom Petty's record being at number two, 10 years ago, probably from the number of sales, would have been maybe at 20. Hmm. So it's easy to hit number two if, you know, you sold 90,000 records, which would be considered to be, you know, a failure years ago. Um you know, Shania Twain sold a ton of records. That's for one week. And and the record labels, there's three peaks in this. The first is in the 60s and 70s when they first came out with the records. The second bump that I noticed is in the 1980s when CDs came out, and we all rushed to buy the very same record we already had. Right. And there was no cost involved. It was already produced. The artwork was done. All they had to do was digitize it, shrink it down, and send it out. So it was pure profit. Um, and there was a small bump for the, for the labels, especially uh, when iTunes came on, because people, again, began to purchase albums. But now they are definitely seeing um, these evergreens, if you will, um, begin to fall off as, as far as how much money they make. Mm. It really is. It's amazing because... Uh... You know, I may not get into a lot of the bands that my kids are listening to, but my kids are listening to all of the greats that I listen to. And, I mean, I can sit with my, and my kids and share with them, uh, you know, a YouTube video of Willie Nelson even singing a song, and they're all, like, mesmerized. Um, but like right. you said, but it's almost like a billboard that'll just pass in the night. But they'll share it with their friends tomorrow, and it'll become a hit in their area or their group for a while. But... Um, it really, it's a different game. I remember my, I never got into the vinyls, but I, my, my sister, cause we had cassettes when I came up. Um, but my sisters would carry their vinyls around, right? I mean, they'd take them to their friend's house and you'd bring your, your vinyls over and you'd play your records for everybody. And collectively everybody had every song. So it, there is almost a, it's, it's not a, it's like a cult. It's just more of a, it, like it is our cult. It was our culture back then. Absolutely. Um, I I teach a class called Milestones in in Music Recording, and we take all the great, you know, Mona Lisas of the record industry, whether it's Sgt. Pepper, OK Computer, uh, What's Going On, uh, Pet Sounds, and uh, the first day that we get into each album, I turn the lights off, and I play the album from beginning to end, and they're mesmerized because they've never experienced that before. Hmm. I make them turn off their phones, which they still have a hard time doing. You yeah. can see they, they do the last couple of tweaks before I give them stink eye and say, turn it off. <laughs> and, um, and then they, what's funny is they tell me they go home and they tell their parents, hey, I just listened to Pet Sounds from beginning to end. And the parents, you know, they love it. They rush down to the basement, they grab the vinyl, and they say, well, let's listen to it. Uh, and a lot of these records, like Dark Side of the Moon, if you don't listen to it from beginning to end, it's sort of like listening to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, but only listening to the third movement. You don't get the whole picture. Yeah. 
the whole effect. Uh, who yeah. makes more money in this game? Um, is it the label that makes more money, or is it the uh, the artist and or the artist's family? Uh, everybody. The the biggest money makers are going to be the songwriters. For instance, a, a lot of Tom Petty's songs he co-wrote with Jeff Lynne of Electric Light Orchestra. He produced Tom Petty a lot. And so he's making money because every time a record sells, a song sells, that he mm. was a co-writer, he's making a percentage of that. Uh, the Traveling Wilburys, sales for them went up. And <clears throat> so Roy Orbison and George Harrison's family oh, yeah. are also making money for every sale. So every time you have one of these deaths, not only does the family make money because the copyright you know, length is death plus 70 years. So they'll make another tons of money for another 70 years off of uh, whoever it was that died. You have all these secondary people that is also making a ton of money. Um, I even noticed that when Tom Petty died on Google Trends that there was a huge spike, not a huge, but a noticeable spike in Stevie Nicks and Bob Dylan. Huh. Anybody associated with Tom Petty, uh, people were also Googling uh, anybody associated with him uh, and to see either the song uh, you know, Stop Dragging My Heart Around was a huge hit for both her and him. And um, and then it trailed off, you know, pretty quickly. But that's the ripple effect it has all through the industry. That's amazing. And, um, two, it seems like another iteration of this is some of these stars, and I don't know, didn't didn't Bruce Springsteen re uh, reconstruct Roy Orbison songs with him, videos of him in his in his uh in his um music video i don't know i don't watch i you know like, where like, do you watch music videos anymore you know, but it's it's, it's kind of like nat cole natalie cole re you know reincarnated her dad her father right. and they were able to sing songs together i mean it, there's just something about not wanting to lose the oldies and a lot of uh, a lot of the youngins want to cling, or now they're not even young anymore, but they want to cling on to that history. Is that just us trying to stay young and also jump into that bigger marketplace? Uh, a little bit of both, and um, and also these guys have become very respected icons. You know, they've become public figures. These guys who ran around trashing motel rooms yeah. are now looked upon with uh, as great statesmen of our generation. Universities are approaching them. They're, Bruce Springsteen is setting up an archive of all of his material. They're treating him like he's Stravinsky you know, <laughs> after he died. And the colleges are saying, give us all your manuscripts. Uh, we want to be the library of. And so they're already tapping into all of them. Wow. Uh, and, also, and, you know, the... The book sales, I call it the end of the greatest generation. It's like a sudden, everybody's trying to record everything they can about these guys. So every every day you see you know, a biography about one of these guys or a video or a movie. And they're going to keep tapping into us until we're all gone. Hmm. Uh, it's amazing. It really is. And then they bring out records that have never been played before or songs that – uh, you know, were never f- final produced and mm-hmm. and and publishing those. It it really is. Um, I guess it's do it. It stretch this potential as far as they can. Like stretch this incredible resource as much as they can. Yeah, I'm the first victim of buying these hundred dollar Led Zeppelin sets. You know, because I want to hear all the music that you know um, Plant said they shouldn't release. 
you know, it's not that good. Interesting. Yeah. Hear it. But they're going through all the different uh, archives and cleaning them up. And I'm the kind of guy who's buying it all. You bought uh, it. I want to hear every little aspect of it. That's pretty neat, though. I mean, really, it's it's. I think it's awesome because. But do you think it's is music? Was it just so good then, or was it just so much more? We've romanticized it because we carried it so deep into our culture. Was it such better music? I don't know that it was better music because uh, I think it's the exposure and again yeah. the limited number of outlets. We all you know ate at the same table and we were all part of a tribe. It was a community. Effort. It was sort of like a early morning Saturday cartoons. Uh, every kid in the United States at 8 a.m. Uh, would lay on the floor in front of the TV until noontime watching the same cartoon. Right. And uh, it became a part of us. There was a, a research paper years ago, and I haven't been able to find it. But they asked a whole bunch of new mothers, uh, what music were you listening to at conception? In other words, what, yeah. what record did you put on when you guys were getting a little frisky? And they all, uh, the biggest one was Dark Side of the Moon, which makes a lot of sense. Right. You know. Wow. Uh, but the point is that they remembered what was being played yeah. at a very important part of their lives. It's sort of like, you know, what were you doing when at, during 9-11 or when the space shuttle blew up or, you know, those kind of things. They're ingrained into our psyche. And when we hear them, it's like smell. It It brings back... Um, it takes us back to a memory. We know what we were doing when certain albums came out. Yeah, and to a whole new world, really, huh? Right, right. It, it's a, it really. I think it's. I think it's. It's fascinating what's happening. I mean, fascinating, especially too when I think of you know the law when Elvis died, because Elvis dying in in my family in my household, it felt like Kennedy was shot. You know, it was it was it was dark. Elvis was gone, and. Uh, Lots of lots of history there. Man, we appreciate your insight. Jeff Snyder, thank you again for being with us and for just walking us down memory, memory lane and seeing the power of money when it comes to music. Um, again, Jeff Snyder is the director of the music industry program at Lebanon Valley College, also a music professor there. He oversees the student-run Vail Music Group, uh, which includes a record label, publishing company, booking agency, and conference events. Great stuff. We, uh, we will continue the journey, folks, helping us all understand what's going on in this world and what's going on in life. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Yes, I love technology, but not as much as you, you see. But I still love technology, always and forever. Welcome back. One of the greatest uh, songs I think ever written. After, of course, Elvis, the Beatles, Queen, all those other groups. There's always Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know if he'll make any money after he dies. Kip's wedding song, I Love Technology. Uh, That's one that's not going to probably make it uh, into the history books. No. But he was singing it to La Fonda, and you knew uh, you knew life was good if if uh, you can pull out a song like that. Let's talk technology for a bit. Uh, what's going on? You you're telling me yes. 
that I there may be some technology changes that are going to impact my life. Absolutely. You like to fly to certain events. Yes. You flew last week. Love it. Love a good flight. Uh, the US FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, wants the world's airlines to stop letting passengers put large electronic devices like laptops in checked bags on international flights. Their proposal which would no doubt upset some frequent travelers, will be considered by the United Nations in the coming week. The FAA is concerned about the lithium-ion batteries that are common in electronic devices like laptops. Tests have conducted by the agency have concluded that when large electronics overheat in luggage, they run the risk of combustion when packed with aerosol canisters like hairspray, oh, yeah. dry shampoo. Depending on the type of plane, the potential for explosion becomes a danger because some of the airplanes don't have the fire suppression equipment necessary to deal with that type of situation with the luggage. So I guess it's safer to pack your laptop right above your head? Stow it away right above your head? Not sure. That seems like I guess they want it in the cabin. Then you can get to it faster? Possibly. Huh. Hmm. Not sure. It says the FAA paper doesn't address whether there should be a domestic ban, but sees this as a global issue and hopes to set a worldwide standard through the U.N. since people so commonly hop on connecting flights that yeah. come into the U.S. and leave the U.S. And I would never check my computer. So it doesn't look like we're right to the point where they're not going to allow them in cabins. Yeah. But, I mean, where's this going to go? Well, I mean... At some point, you just can't take your computer with you. It seems like at some point we ought to solve the battery problem. You know? Yeah. And then make it so your batteries don't overheat and then make your hairspray turn into an explosive device. Because <laughs> remember, everybody on that airplane has hairspray probably in their hair or some right. product that's going to light oh, yeah. up. The FAA believes this hasn't been a problem because most people don't put them in their yeah. checked baggage because they're going to have them on the airplane. But then what? I mean, but are they still not catching on fire in the cabin? If it's a problem, it seems like it would be a problem. Yeah. I didn't see on my flight, I didn't see one laptop catch on fire. Right. Now, there was an incident in, uh, I forget, it was in Africa, I believe, but somebody put a laptop on the side of an airplane wall inside it and purposely blew up a bomb that was in it. Oh, and wow. that's what's kind of led to all this. Yeah. Is, okay. And then you have, you know, the Samsung, if you want to yeah. play your little sounder there and watch something blow up. But just the idea that the phones have had problems, batteries are problematic. They're looking at this. There's been bans before from uh, international flights into the U.S., temporary bans as they've been hearing some. It sounds like President Trump's on it. We'll see what happens. Uh, Also, I found this this morning. It says you should never charge your phone in your car. What? Why? For a lot of people, that's the only place they have a charger. That's where I watch all my television. It may seem harmless to plug your phone into your car's USB port, but unless you're uh, desperate, charging your phone during your commute might be a big mistake. Uh. For starters, the USB port in your vehicle probably provides less electricity than your phone really needs to charge. By plugging your phone into a low-power USB port like the one in your car, you allow the device to swallow power at a rate that is much too fast for the port's capabilities. Oh, yeah. As a result, your phone might stall while it charges or, worse, barely charge at all. This is a this common battery-saving iPhone. Oh, then they just start selling stuff. What more? Uh, <laughs> charging your phone while on the road could drain your car's battery. While the extent of the damage depends on the type of phone you have and its battery, the odds are high that your device is depleting your car's battery as it charges. This usually isn't a big deal for those who own newer cars with healthy batteries, but if your car's older, um, older model, you might yeah. want to avoid charging in your car. That but makes you're, sense. But you're telling me there's a charge. So it says play it safe, wait till you get home, and plug it in next time, you know. You but no, but I need plans. to. I need to have it now. Yeah. 
So if you have a newer car, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Relax. Not a big deal. We're going to take a break, folks. Uh, come back to a little Coach's Corner. Continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's my house. Come on. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome to my house, folks. Uh, the You know... Life's tough, isn't it? And we we have all of this nostalgia for music, and I, I really wonder what it's what it's about. It, it seems like deep, deep down, um, there's we many of us. I mean, maybe of the older generation, we want to get back to that good old fashioned day when you could leave your front door open, uh, you know, have the screen on, maybe put some vinyls on, and 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 get back and. And just enjoy listening to some great music. Hmm? Or when you used to – like I used to go hang out at my grandparents' house and every – I think it was Sunday we'd sit around the old uh, wood box television, like real nice wood furniture television set and we would watch Lawrence Welk. And we'd get to see a really nice variety show of dancing and champagne dreams. <laughs> Bubbles everywhere. Ah. And I look at my kids and I, I, I think our earlier guest made a really excellent point that they're, um, they, they can look at these really incredible masterpieces, but it really is just like they're driving by a billboard. Oh, OK. Yeah, I saw that. Yep, yep, yep. Saw that. Oh, had that experience. But I guess because we had fewer things going on, these things became more universal. They became more shared kind of collective events. And it might be telling us that there's something powerful in creating culture. And uh, personally, there's a lot I think we can do with our families. There's a lot we can do with our kids to create a feeling of culture like that. Kids want predictability. They want to know that we're going to have a certain uh, you know predictable schedule in our lives. We're going to have a family meeting um, once a week, we're going like with us. Our kids like to know that we're going to have a family prayer at the end of the day. Something, just something that tells them that everything's okay. We're all fine. And even though they kind of moan when you're like, "Hey, let's get together and have a family time," they of course they're going to moan. That's what teenagers do. But they predictably get there, and we then can have some great conversations. We can share some great stuff. So don't think just because you know. Life is moving on. Great musicians are passing on. Um, that that this world isn't a great place. We just need to take the principles of things we used to do, like we need to sit around and have more talks. We need to have more family circles where we share more insight. We need to ask them to turn the the intervening technology off so that they can actually be present and start experiencing certain things and slowly but surely drip more and more opportunity, more culture, more connection into their lives. Family dinner is a great place to do that as well. So the research bears out that when you're having events like that, you're going to create stronger families, stronger kids, and that's the goal for all of us. That's uh, that's it. And uh, for hour number one, up next, uh, BYU or uh, BBC News will be up, and then we got a full new hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is 
the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The gang is gathered, and today we are going to uh, take you on an excursion through life. Wow. Teaching you how to be more resilient, but not the way we think. We always talk about grit. You need more grit. Grit. Do we talk about grit? Yeah. Or do I mention grit so we can all kind of like kind of smile? Did you have a lot of grits in Texas? No, I did not. Mm. But he did have a lot of grit Mm. in his boots. Um, No, but we talk about resilient kids all the time. We need to build more resiliency. But today's guest is going to get into the fact that maybe it's not about your ability to uh, rebound. Uh, what's the word? It's, it might be about your energy level. Hmm. So you've got to be able to be rechargeable. And the faster you can recharge, the more resilient in life you are. So take a day off. Take a day off and manage your life and your schedule so you can recharge. And don't just think you're going to recharge at the end of every day and then at the end of every week. You need to recharge maybe. you Like we do this show and since I twisted my ankle and almost died. That's kind of an overstatement. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. Well, no, I fell in the middle of a road. You did Right in the middle of a you crosswalk. You die. There was not a car that almost hit you. There was not really any imminent danger. But if the light had changed, but if it, I had somehow lost consciousness and the light had changed, I could have easily been run over. Except the people laughing were incapable of driving at the moment, so you are probably fine. If anything, they were what? in more danger <laughs> from crashing into each other from laughing. Yes. You were more dangerous to them. That seems kind of rude. Well... Sometimes the facts can We hurt. only state the facts. I don't get it. I mean, I I try so hard with you guys. As CNN <laughs> is saying, this is an apple, not a banana. Facts matter. Really? Have you seen those commercials? No. They, there's an apple on this white background. They go, yeah. some people will try to tell you that this is an this is a this they go, this is an apple. Some people will try to tell you this is a banana. No, keep saying it's a banana, mm-hmm. and they'll say banana, banana, banana. But whatever they say, this is still an apple. Uh, and then it says facts matter. See, that's why Trump's like fake news. <laughs> They're fake news. Okay, uh, let's do a quick test here, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, apple and banana. There you go. See, every fruit has a sound. There you go. Avocado. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> See how fun this is? It's a crazy avocado. By the way, speaking yeah. of recharging, yeah. we learned last hour from Terry, don't recharge your phone in your car. If you have like a 1980s yeah. car. Because the tech Which sometimes device, I wish I did. They're, oh, more, yeah. they're more worried about your car battery. If you have an older car battery, it might put too much stress on the car battery and hurt the performance of your car. Well, a 2003 Toyota Camry Solara is probably... <clears throat> One of those older cars, right? Does it, even, yeah. does it have a USB port? I'm sorry. It's a 2004. Um, <laughs> oh, that changes everything. <laughs> uh, no, I had to put yeah. a little adapter yep. in there. By the way, there it's a beautiful car. Seriously. Thank you. It's red. It is nice. It's sporty. one of those cars that always looks like it's clean, but it rarely is. Yeah. <laughs> it's because you got baby car seats in the back. And my car looks like it's dirty, and it almost always is. Mm. See how that works? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, my car parked at the par- at the airport. Yeah, filthy. They're rebuilding the airport. Ah, 
It is Lots a of dust. It's well, you got gotta, a big mud car. Now. You got to stop parking under the crop dusting area. Yeah, a really strong chemical smell. <laughs> I don't understand. Bug free though. Bug bug free. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to more about resiliency by learning to recharge. But first, to the headlines with Terry. What's going on, Terry? Secretary of State Rex Tillerson made a surprise trip to Afghanistan on Monday, where he signaled the U.S.'s desire for a peaceful resolution to the 16-year war in the country. Tillerson appealed to moderate voices among the Taliban during the announced trip, going so far as to hypothetically offer governmental posts to such individuals in Afghanistan. Huh. Not here. He's not, not like, here. hey, they, you, I mean, you can yeah. be Secretary of Treasury. No, yeah. you're going to be in Afghanistan, but we'll help you out and see Wait, if you we, can have a voice in government. Because that's kind of what they want. Yeah, sure. Foreign policy notes that Tillerson's covert trip was likely a reflection of Trump's, the Trump administration's larger plans for the country. This is interesting. This may be their larger plan. Tillerson said the U.S. wants to make it clear the Taliban and other militants that the U.S. was in Afghanistan for the long haul and that militants would not prevail militarily. The diplomatic overture signals that Trump administration's eagerness to wrap up the longest war in U.S. history. Well, and so it's only been 16 years? Yeah. But, like, didn't the Russians fight Afghanistan they did. for, like, 40 years? They did. Yeah. So, they, they left because they never were able to It's, it's get a war a you don't it. win, right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll okay. see. There's, yeah. There may be a plan is what I'm trying to say. Okay, good. Oh, that's great. Which is always good. General Joseph Dumford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, addressed the media Monday regarding the deadly ambush of Army soldiers in Niger. Four U.S. service members were killed October 4th. Dumford said American forces were ambushed by nearly 50 local militants who were likely affiliated with the Islamic State. Five Nigerian soldiers also died in the battle. Critics note Im- noted information about America's presence in Niger had been scarce, prompting Dumford to acknowledge that we owe you more information. He confirmed that there are roughly 800 U.S. soldiers stationed in Niger, the highest contingent in a single African country, who are working as part of an international effort led by 4,000 French troops to defeat terrorists in West Africa. Well, by the way, and these were all Green Berets. Yes. And they apparently fought for an hour before they then called for backup air support. Yeah, they didn't call in. They thought they could just handle it. Yeah, and surprise. But, yeah, that's tragic. Yeah. Ugh. So there's a there's a bunch of questions. You'll see more hearings. And so 800 soldier, American soldiers in Niger. <clears throat> and now is that an apple or is that a banana, according to CNN? That story would be an apple. It okay. came right from the Joint Chiefs. Okay, good. That's an Someone apple. else may refer to it as a banana. Yeah. We'll have to keep our, our, our tally on that. It's kind That's of good. an interesting approach to news. It really is. Lots of fruit. President Trump promised Monday there will be no ta- no change to tax initiatives for the popular 401k retirement programs. That's good. He goes, I will not lay a hand on your 401k. Trump has always, or, This has always been a great <laughs> and great popular middle class tax break that works and it stays. The AP reports the president appears to be responding to a recent report in the New York Times that Republican lawmakers were considering limiting the amount of workers could save on their 401k retirement accounts. So he goes, no change in the 401k. Um, so the current annual contribution cap, do you know what that is for your 401k? For a year, how much money can you put in? Uh, is it $7,500? It's 18000 What? Wow. They would possibly lower that to $2,400. Well, let's not oh, do my. that. Yeah. The idea that is that because income uh, put into a 401k isn't taxed until it's withdrawn years later, lowering contributions would generate immediate tax revenue for the government, an estimated $115 billion in 2018. Yeah, because everyone's wow. now concerned that this is not a tax. This is tax 
is not money – what is it? Neutral. It's it's going to end up costing a trillion and a half dollars over 10 years or whatever. Right. So they have to find some way to save money. Yeah. And this is all has to do I think with avoiding the 50 vote versus 60 vote yeah. argument in the Senate. Maybe what they could healthcare. do is just, I don't know, get rid of some of the things that aren't working in government uh, that are still costing us money. Sure. So maybe like give us the tax break and – Go save a trillion and a half dollars by doing other cuts. Like what? Uh, I mean, there's military cuts. Could be. But like you would say, hey, just get rid of – like we don't need military spending in Africa. And now we find out, oh, yeah, we do. What no. about the catering budget? Can't everybody just yeah. bring their own lunch? Yeah, right. What's the big deal with that? I mean, I guarantee if we got into it, we'd find where we can make some cuts. Maybe private jets, people using private jets to fly Fewer around. private jets. That's a way probably Fewer to honeymoon help. trips for treasury secretaries. Right. I or mean, for an example. Lunches with sons in Kentucky. They huh? could start charging tickets to get onto Air Force One, allowing people to... Uh, all right. Don't start that. Come on. Well, yeah. they do. Like all the media, they pay. Yeah. When they fly Air Force One. Do they? Members, they do. And members of the government, I'm not sure if like if... President Trump invites a senator. You'll hear senators kind of tagging along for a trip. I don't know if they pay. I think they do. But you, or maybe you're just a guest of the president. I don't know how that works. But if you want to bring your lackeys, then the lackeys have to pay. Ah, the lackeys. Know. They never win. Mm-hmm. Finally, Sunday's Venice Marathon. Hold on. Yeah. Is there enough ground in Venice to run a marathon? Apparently. They ran a marathon. And it was in Venice. So okay. I, I imagine the answer to that would be Or do yes. they just run in, sp- in place on a gondola? <laughs> I'm not sure. That would be interesting. Uh, it's just the second time that Mr. I'm not going to use his whole name, Fennell, okay. ever ran. Oh, this is running. And I yet, was thinking it was driving. It's a marathon. Marathon is usually a running situation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They're tricky words. So he's the second. Uh, well, he it's the let's see here. He's at the Italian runner. He won the race. He's so never. It's the second time in life. Second he's time run. in life that he's ran the marathon and he won thanks to a wrong turn. Ah. It says a guide motorcycle led the pack of seven runners who were in the lead several hundred meters off course before they realized the mistake and turned around, costing them about two minutes. The, <laughs> the, the incident, which happened about halfway through the race, per the International Association of Athletics Federation, ultimately helped make Fennell the first Italian man to win the marathon in 22 See, years. That, that's home court advantage. It's Okay. So did he win? Here's the sound of running. There you go. Mr. Gunnell. Vanel. Vanel. An Italian Vanel. guy. I was going to say his name, but I'm just going to butcher it. He so. sees him turning right, yeah. and he thinks to himself, no, that's a mistake. Aha! Who runs with a big, giant smile on their face, by the way? Well, people that are in shape. Yeah, they enjoy hmm. it. If you, That's how I know that running's not that great, because every marathon that you ever witness, everyone looks miserable. So why are we doing that? I'm miserable watching people running. I know. I feel like I ought to get up and run, and then I, you know, think a little bit more, and I'm like, I can, I can play ah. this on a trombone. Just thought I'd toss that in. No, really. No, I can. I learned to play it in junior high, and I've oh, always well, used we've it. We've got to hear that. No, that's fine. Do you I have a trombone at home? Uh, it's at my parents' house, I think. Case. Please do, but just make no. sure you point the spit valve at Matt. Yeah, it leaks, and then the whole thing when you start buzzing the instruments, that's how you make the noise. Yeah. It, like, inflames your lip, and then you have a fat lip all day. You know what? It's kind of bad. But could you just throw together a little audio of you playing this? 
Why would you want to hear that? I just think it's fascinating that I played the trombone, mm-hmm. and I want to see, then I want to see your lips get that big. Oh, it's embarrassing! It's just it's like someone popped you in the face. Well, and, you look like you had Botox or yeah. whatever they do. Oh yeah, it whatever really looks they like do. Botox. Do just, they put Botox in your lips? Um, they, yeah, don't if they you play like put long collagen enough. or something? You have to take extreme measures, you know, as you get older as a trombone player. Oh yeah, because yeah. you you once you start losing lip. Mm. Then you, it's so hard to keep that seal on the. It's true. Uh, what's what do they call the little the uh, mouthpiece? The mouthpiece. Yes, I think Terry's trying to bury his talents here. Is what's yeah. going on? Putting them right under a bushel. <laughs> wow! So you'll do that for us? No. Hmm. You're gonna lose it. You got to give it away to keep if you it. Don't, it's when was the last be... time you played the trombone? 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, see, you're gonna lose it. It's probably gone. You're going to. Well, it's not gone. You don't think so? I think subconsciously you wanted us to have you play it. That's why no. You I just it I heard it's it's like our our guest in the first hour. He says you hear certain music, it takes you back to a place. Yeah. And I remember the hours it took me to figure this out because I had to do it as a live performance. Right. Excellent. It was like they had this like solo festival with our our band class, and it was part of if you want to pass the class, you have to do this. As you could probably imagine, it was a solo event that I didn't want to participate in. Right. There's yeah. a lot of these that come well, up. Well, it's like your picture. You don't, it's like I mean, the photograph we took yeah. in certain meetings we go to. I'm like, what are we doing? You just don't. You're you're anti anything. Extra. Kind of anything. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I, I have that. And I'm sorry if that's dragging no, you guys down. No. It's, it's just, that's why I think it's important that you step up, bring your trombone. No, I don't really think that's going to solve anything. And bring it home. I was not pleased with those photos, by the way. I gave them my heart and my soul and my blood and my sweat, and yeah. they chose just a normal-looking one. I know. Maybe it was all that blood and sweat that they were, like, thinking, that we can't use that picture. Where did you see your Way photo? Way too much blood. And they gave us a booklet. Oh, I, that's another thing you missed. Oh, Terry's nice. is great. In fact, let's do it on the air right now because— um, Is mine in there? Yours is oh, in there. And no. yours is one that you will be pleasantly oh. not <laughs> surprised about. Let's see. I can't even see it. Am I over here? Terry South. It looks oh, wow, like they, you're kind of playing the trombone they, they in the, the picture, t- doesn't it? They cut the top of my head off. It looks like I'm in mid-speech. Yeah, but you're like you're kind of laughing. You're. This is the guy that didn't want to even do this shot. It's kind of a like half of my face is contorted, uh-huh. but in a good way. No, it, it's a good contortion. It looks like half of my face is losing. All thought, muscle structure. I thought I don't it was know. a great picture of you. Yeah, there's better. And I told Matt before you got here, or maybe during one of the breaks, that I had brought his book with me, and I was you were having to, them take pictures of me reading his book. You were trying to disrespect me. No, and see, they they protected me. No, it. You were trying to joke, tease. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> my those pictures showed an array of emotions that yeah. all readers go through while reading your book. Mine, I'm not, I don't. I wasn't pleased with mine, but I, I, sh- I don't. Care I should have anymore. been posed better. That's ridiculous. No, but it looks great. There's, no, it doesn't. There's happiness. There's sadness. The yeah. problem there's is pain. When they bring you up for any sort of like award or yeah. any sort of recognition in this building, they're going to show that photo. That photo forever, and it's going to yeah. look like I'm. I like ate a lemon or something. No, so it's fantastic. Just take a sabbatical right before the five year mark, and then come back. No. Then I'll they just, won't be able to give you the five-year I'll, I'll take that day off. So, yeah. <laughs> See, because they do it like when you're a brand-new employee, at the first meeting they have you stand up, I didn't go to that meeting. 
Because yeah. it was like the next day. Yeah, so yeah. I was hired the next day. Well, they had you, the meeting and I wasn't there. You've pretty much avoided every meeting. Right. And so now when they go and have a meeting where they recognize me and they want me there, I just won't be there. Oh, wow. So I won't be in the room when this photo comes up and I won't have to you know, deal with that public shame. <sighs> it's a horrible photo. Yeah, it's good. It's, I think it I – I mean when you think about what they were working with and how bad you did not want to be there. That's pretty good. I put makeup on for this photo. Well, know, it was put, put on even you. Need to. That's what was neat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had too much uh, mascara on. There was. The lipstick went mm-hmm. too far. but You could have taken it off a little sooner. And I've never seen a guy wear so much blue makeup on their eyelids. The makeup artist said it went with my complexion. Yeah. She, didn't she say it would make your eyes pop? Yeah. I think she so. said it was mood makeup. Mm-hmm. But I think you look great. Yeah. Loving it, and I love the boa, by the way. A lot of guys can't pull the boa off. I Yeah. Can't do it. Mm. Bummer. Hey, uh, up next, we're going to be talking about resiliency and uh, how, how really it may be more about how you recharge. It's not just putting up and enduring with a difficult life or a hard day. It might be about how you recharge, and the more you recharge, the more resilient you become. That's straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Are you someone who goes home from work and can't keep your mind off of your work? Many people at home can't uh, help but check their phones for work emails or can't even sleep because they're thinking about what they need to get done for their job. They don't get a break from work at home, and it costs companies $62 billion a year in lost productivity. Michelle Gielen, who is a positive psychology researcher, explains why having a recovery period is essential to uh, a healthy, happy life. Michelle, thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. So you are actually, uh, you're an executive producer of The Happiness Advantage, which is a special on PBS and a featured professor in Oprah's Happiness Course. Um, is Happiness Advantage coming from Sean Acor's content? Yeah, actually, that's my husband. So is it I, really? It's one of my favorite uh, yeah, books um, of all time. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's kind of fun as his wife. I, I get to be his producer, too, which means basically I just boss him around. That's right. You have all the power. <laughs> How cool is that? What a great what a great insight you're giving us here, though, because we, we talk a lot about resiliency. It's kind of like the new term of our our era or our this decade is we need more resilient kids. We need more resilient people. But a lot of what you're really talking about is your ability to recharge. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a misunderstanding right now with what being resilient really means. People think it's about slogging through, you keep going, you work really hard. But what we're oftentimes forgetting is that built into that experience, in order to fuel our resiliency, we need to take time to recharge and allow our brains that break so it comes back to the work we're doing, whether it's school or at our jobs. Uh, and our brain is in that high performance zone. Hmm. Because I think what we we think is, yeah, I'll just I'll I'll recharge tonight, or I'll recharge on the weekends. But I, I guess really it's got to be more of something we do throughout the day. Yeah. So there's actually three main areas I think that we can uh, build into our lives this oppor- these opportunities to recharge. One is during the work day or during the school day. The other is after hours, right? So really giving ourselves that break. 
And then um, we also should be really thinking about our vacation time, too. How are we using it? And are we mentally disconnecting from work? Because the truth is, if we, in any of those times, are sitting there with our phones, checking our email every five minutes, notifications are going off constantly, or we're constantly having conversations with our loved ones or others about work, we're not really leaving work behind and giving ourselves that opportunity to to, to reboot. It's so true. And I sit there and I think um, like it's almost like it's natural to want to constantly be succeeding and pushing your career ahead, except what are the benefits? So if I could actually turn it off, I mean, I know positive psychology has a lot of benefits to teach us. What would I gain by actually being able to turn my work off more? Well, my favorite is some research that we did about vacations. If you can really take a good vacation, it improves your performance and your likelihood of uh, receiving a raise or a promotion when you return to work. So we did this study uh, in partnership with the U.S. Travel Association. We looked at the impact of taking 11 or more paid, uh, paid vacation days. So this is really people who have as part of their benefits package paid time off. They work more than 35 hours on average a week. And, um, and what we found is that if you take 11 or more vacation days, you're 30% more likely to receive a raise when you return, not immediately, right, but within that next calendar year, uh, as compared to the people who took 10 or fewer days. Um, And so, you know, that just shows us the impact that giving our brain that break can have then on our future performance. Um, And we're also giving ourselves the opportunity to do other kinds of activities that can be really fun, right? Like go and enjoy um, windsurfing or hiking or something that, um, that allows us to feel fully alive, which, of course, then contributes to higher levels of energy when we return to work. It's so true. And, and I guess, too, it would actually, by being able to go do something different, that would, that's got to also just enhance my ability to see what I am doing at work, right? It's going to bring yeah. in a different perspective, a different view. Yeah, there's this um, amazing research done by Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi. He's got a very complicated name. Yeah, he does, yeah. (laughs) Um, But I love his concept, which is very simple. He looks at this idea of flow. It's when our, 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 um, our abilities match up beautifully with the activity we're doing, so it's not too hard or too easy, and it gets our mind off of the regular every day, allows us to forget time and just really be present with what we're doing. And so those kinds of activities that we can do on vacation will often follow along those lines. And what he finds is that when we experience flow, whether it's for 30 minutes or three hours, that can act like a recharge for us because our brain now is, you know, is, is feeling more singularly focused as opposed to how it oftentimes is in regular life, which is scattered amongst a bunch of activities. Mm. It's um, th- this whole movement of positive psychology seems to be changing how we see a lot of things. And uh, like with flow, I mean, there's he gets into the idea that you need to be challenged enough. Um, and and but so so stress can actually be good for you if it stretches you. But you also have to it seems like what you're saying is also have the bandwidth to handle the stress. Yes, absolutely. So in our work, we've looked at the difference between processing stress as a challenge versus a threat. 
when your brain processes a threat, I mean, we've all felt it, right? Yeah. You kind of go into that fight or flight mode. You feel overwhelmed, cloudy. You're really not feeling like you're, you're at the top of your game. And this could be a stress from a deadline or a, a, you know, a nerve-wracking conversation you have to have. Meanwhile, if we view that stress as a challenge, it's not necessarily saying, hey, we're so excited to have this stress, but we feel like we are ready and have the resources to accomplish the task at hand or hit that deadline, um, then all of a sudden what happens is our brain gets turned on to its highest levels of potential. The chemical structure of our brain and body switch and we are, um, are, we're just in that top performance zone. And actually, very specifically, so we did a study with stressed out managers at UBS. This was a, a handful of years ago. And trained one to deal with stress, a very typical stress management training. Uh, we trained the other group, which is the experimental group, in how to process stress differently to see it actually as like exactly what you're saying as an advantage. And what we found is that four months later, those managers that had been in that experimental group and rethought their relationship with stress reported a 23% drop in stress-related symptoms like headaches, backaches, and fatigue. Hmm. So they they just just by reframing it, it actually reduced its impact on them. Yeah, a lot of it was about reconnecting with the meaning behind the stress. You know, if we hear, for instance, that a kid is failing math, of course we that doesn't sit well with any of us, right? We all right. want our children to succeed, but if it's our child failing math, that's a whole different story, right? Because yeah. there's a deeper meaning in that. And so when um, when we could get these business executives to reconnect with the meaning behind the stresses that they were experiencing at work. Why do you care about this project? Why do you care about keeping your job here to make the money to maybe put your kid through school, right? All of a sudden, they could understand where the stress was coming from and process it differently. That's pretty cool. That And, and I mean, that seems like a, a life skill that is creates resiliency, but also, yeah, and, and also lowers your... Um, I mean, if it could reduce the stress just simply by me reframing it, 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 all of a sudden I actually see it as an energy source, not an energy mm-hmm. suck. Yeah, absolutely. How cool is that? Is it um, – talk about recovery. Like what are some techniques that we can use to make sure that we can incorporate in our day or in our life, in our week? I guess one of them is the reframe. Uh, what else could we do to to make sure we're recovering from life? I think the number – I think the number one area that we, the the questions we all need to ask ourselves uh, all wrap around our relationship with technology. How do you, uh, basically, what what do you want your relationship to be with technology in terms of, do you want to use it and allow it and help it to help you make uh, you more efficient um, as you're, you know, moving throughout your day, or do you want it to run your life? Um, I think that notifications are constantly pulling our brains away from what we're doing. Um, Our brains are incredible processors, and we can do a lot at once. But really what we see in the research is that we are single-focused. We operate best when we're focusing on one thing. We're not good at multitasking, even though we like to think we are. Um, So I say shut off notifications except for the very important things that you need, and um, and that way you're not constantly bombarded. And the other thing is during the course of the workday, build in those recovery times. Either put, you know, every hour on the hour an alarm that reminds you to stand up from your desk 
or uh, know that at 1030 in the morning you get up, you go have a cup of coffee and a snack and you go for you know, a five-minute walk around the office and chat with people. Whatever you need, whatever feels authentic and right to your life, but be conscious and plan for it. And then as far as in the evenings and weekends when we should not be technically working, um, decide on what the, that looks like. What is the culture that you want to create in your household um, around work discussions and having phones on the table and having computers open? Uh, the more we're really clear about what we want and what will fuel us, the better chances we have of getting that brain break. And it's, I guess it really is, it's the, it's being conscious about it and saying, and being authentic, like what is it, what part of this is really important for me? Because so much of this is about illusion, it seems like. Um, mm-hmm. When I travel, uh, everybody thinks they can't get a hold of me, but the reality is they can. I just... I'm not answering. And so it's good for you. But it was but it, for me it's crazy cuz I love a good travel or not even a vacation. I love that too. But I love just a good trip to go do a speech somewhere because all of a sudden everybody picks up this illusion that I'm going to be out of office unreachable and but I I could instill that idea too that every day that the, during this time I'm unreachable. And because I need to go work on my book or I need to go do something else, we could make this be a part of our life anyway, right? Absolutely. Uh, so I love that. Um, uh, Google does something called eighty twenty, where eighty percent of the time you're supposed to be doing your regular job, the one you were hired for, the one they pay you for. But twenty percent of the time, they allow you to invest your time into other projects that are sort of passion projects. Um, why not apply this eighty twenty rule to our own lives? of the time we do what we have to do, but we give ourselves that 20% of the time, literally sometimes even just to sit there and stare out the window. Oh, yeah. The best creative ideas in the world have come when people are in the shower or walking their dog or, you know, because our brain is getting that time to calm down and not have to think about something that we have to do. We just, it can just wander and um, and that can act as absolutely a recharge period for us. Mm. It's um, in your article you talked also about uh, the fact that we're becoming more and more workaholics. Uh, you cited how Norway and Norwegian seven point eight percent of Norwegians have become workaholics. What is a workaholic? Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm always working, <laughs> but I'm not sure that I feel like I'm a workaholic. But so, what is a workaholic? And is this something that we're handing down to our kids, this idea that they constantly have to be working? Yeah, so I love this that I, thing that I heard, and I haven't confirmed it myself. And if anyone is German and knows this to be a fact, please let me know. But um, this was fantastic. Someone said to me, oh, yeah, Germans think that if you're working after 5 o'clock in the evening, it's not that you have more work to do and you should stay late or bring it home. It's that you're inefficient. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, I just thought that, that was fantastic. Uh, I think that um, what's what's happening is because we can access our work at any hour. Oftentimes, we feel this pressure that we need to, but I don't think it necessarily fuels our success in the long run to be constantly plugged in. Uh, and um, yeah, many of us are workaholics. If you're checking your email first thing in the morning. I mean, that could be one of the warning signs, right? I did it this morning. My son was had a stuffy nose last night, so he slept in bed with me. He's three and a half, and uh, and he was still snoozing it, you know, a little bit later after I woke up. So I sat there and I was answering emails. 
Um, no, if I'm just doing it one morning, fine. If I'm doing it every morning, if I'm feeling high levels of stress in that experience, if it's setting my day off on a bad note, well, then that behavior, workaholism or not, it's not serving me necessarily. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this whole habit of ha- checking our phones every five or ten minutes, there's some crazy statistic that says that we, if you have a, a lock on your phone, the average person unlocks their phone every, uh, 250 times a day. What? Yes. So if you unlock your phone and it takes an average of X number of seconds, I think the researcher calculated it is that we spend just unlocking our phone two and a half hours a day or something like that. Yeah, you may I as well just not, I mean, forgo the lock. It's crazy. <laughs> and you may, you also ought to make it automatically turn on the minute you move it. Just because, yeah. think of all the time you'd save accessing your phone. <laughs> what? Holy cow, Michelle, we are messed up. I mean, you, but you, you brought up some apps, too. What are some apps that we could be using that might help us, uh, you know, recharge and actually even just track better how we're using our technology? So there's some fantastic apps that allow you to track your, your app usage. So they'll tell you what the, um, the, the apps that you're using the most and the ones that you're using the least. There was some research recently published that was fascinating. It said uh, it was showing us that we spend the most amount of time on the stuff that makes us the least productive, right? like Facebook and Twitter. Meanwhile, um, some apps that can make us more productive, uh, we're not spending much time on at all. So tracking your usage can be really good. And also any apps that sort of limit your usage. We, a friend of mine developed something called Ransomly, where this, uh, this small device that you put in your house will take your phone for ransom. Uh, Basically, (laughs) it'll lock certain apps. So if you have kids and you don't want during dinner time the kids to have access to, you know, Facebook and Twitter, you can take their, lock those apps. Um, And so, and I I think that's really good because it reminds us, obviously, to uh, take that beat. It shows us those moments when we quickly grab our phone unconsciously um, and log on. Um, but, uh, but also you don't even need to use an app. Sean and I, my husband and I experimented with a zip top bag. We put our phones in one and we sealed it up and just having that simple physical barrier to using our phone Mm. was a great reminder that, Hey, we're probably grabbing our phone 250 times a day and we need to slow down. Yeah. That gets into that, whatever the 22nd rule that Sean has in his book. Is it 22nd? It's a brilliant idea. Yeah. It like, or it's it's like if you just kept your phone in your bedroom, you'd use it a lot less because it's you've crossed that barrier. It's too hard to go get it to then do something. Yeah, I, yeah it's so true. Um, so I went to the launch party for Thrive Global, which is Ariana Huffington's new company, and uh, it was so great because they were featuring uh, a bed for your phone. This phone bed comes complete with satin sheets oh, and nice. a, a recharging station. Oh, yeah, it's fancy. It's more of a lady's phone bed. Yeah. I guess you can get a, a male. You, you can get like a male, <laughs> yeah, with like leopard skin or whatever. Yeah, if, if you're into that. Isn't that funny? But put your, put your phone to bed. Yeah, you put your phone to bed. And she says, put your phone to bed in another room. Don't put it to bed in your bed. That's your bedroom, not your phone's bedroom. Um, so leave it in the kitchen or whatever. And now, listen, I know that a lot of people use their phones oftentimes for alarm clocks. So her other thing is get an old-fashioned alarm yeah. clock. We, I mean, remember those? We used to get those. Yeah. And you used to even have to wind them at night. I mean, there's there's things that you can do to 
my kids, that's the big excuse. We need our phones because I, I won't wake up. And you're like, well, you don't wake up anyway. So it's <laughs> the reality is, I mean, there's 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 ways around this. But like you keep saying, you've got to be you've got to be in charge and recharge. Right. You've got to choose. You've got to make these choices. What would you say, Michelle, is the one thing as we wrap it up? What What's the one thing that makes the biggest difference? The one thing we can all do today in our lives that would actually make us be able to recharge uh, more quickly? Uh, you know, we've learned so much from the work we've done with companies about creating a positive culture at work. And um, I think that's something we can import to our home lives as well to exactly help with recharging. And what I mean by that is when we strengthen our home culture, whether we live alone or with our family, that says, I'm giving myself a break. I'm not a slave to technology. Uh, I give myself a chance to recharge by loving myself through these activities. Then all of a sudden, I I think the uh, power that the culture at work might have to want us to work all the time lessons. So I would encourage anyone who has the opportunity to sit down and have those conversations, figure out what your home culture looks like in terms of disconnecting and allowing yourself to recharge. That's great. And be in charge of it. I mean, again, we do spend so much money, so much time in a company working on culture. We just spend an entire day with our entire organization working on culture. Why wouldn't we do that with our family and make choices about technology, make choices about disconnection? From uh, from the internet, Michelle Geelan, thank you so much for your great uh, insight, your great work. The website is michellegeelan.com. and uh, what a great couple, what a power couple, uh, Sean Acor and Michelle Geelan make as they're trying to change the world and bring back happiness and positive change. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. coach would have put me in fourth quarter we'd have been state champions because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner Play ball. Play ball. welcome back friends holy cow uh we've got to learn to recharge and really what we might need to learn to do is turn stuff off we lack the discipline i truly believe to to maybe live in this tech culture um we you know everyone keeps spouting the idea that uh yeah you have the control not really not really we you've got to have the character the ability to actually go turn this stuff off and start leading your life to a completely different level um the 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 validation of this is coming out of Tokyo um listen to this a young journalist grueling work schedule including a single month working 159 hours of overtime And just two days off the entire month apparently triggered heart failure that killed her at the age of 31, according to Japanese labor regulators. Authorities officially attributed Miwa Sato's death to karoshi, the Japanese word for a death due to overwork, according to information released this week. And and she, by the way, worked for a public broadcaster. So that's kind of scary um, if you're if you're a public broadcasting employee. Sato, a political reporter, had been covering elections for Tokyo's government and the national parliament in the months leading up to her death in 2013. She died three days after the election for Japan's upper house. 
The determination that Sato's death was caused by overworking has brought renewed scrutiny to the work culture in Japan, where hundreds, if not thousands of people are believed to be working themselves to death every year. One official with the public broadcaster told reporters her death was indicative of a problem of our organization as a whole, including the labor system and how elections are covered. The country classified 189 deaths from overwork in 2015. 93 suicides and 96 heart attacks, strokes, and other illnesses related to overwork. The woman, by the way, 31 years old. 31 years old. In addition to long hours, vacation days routinely go unused. On average, employees used less than half of their leave time in 2015, about nine days a year. Are you out there taking all of your leave time? Are you taking your vacation? Or are you saving it? Oh, I'm just saving it, Matt, for a rainy day. Like when I have my bypass surgery, I want to have a lot of vacation days to take. Well, maybe if we all would go take our vacation and actually make it a vacation, maybe what would happen is you wouldn't need the bypass. Hmm? Maybe. And I don't want to be a jerk about it, but there is a point where – we got to learn, folks, and we've got to learn how to live a life and how to have a life. Um, it's not going to just happen for you. And you may be noticing in your life that you keep thinking that someday, just someday down the road, you're going to finally be caught up on your bills, be happy again. You'll, I mean, once, once you do this next thing, you know, once you get the next promotion, you're finally going to be happy. And what we may be realizing is there's no such thing. Happiness isn't around the corner, right? Happiness uh, is is there now. In fact, the book The Happiness Advantage that our last guest uh, was basing some of her work on is telling us that happiness is not something that we eventually reach. It's something we've got to find now. And when you can find happiness today in your life, that is what actually produces the results. It's not that getting results makes you happy. It's being happy that helps you make results and get results in your life. So we've got to re we've got to re um, reevaluate and re kind of organize our priorities about these things. It's not going away, folks. And the game has changed quite a bit. And I don't. It's not even. You don't need to be anti technology. You do need to be pro living your life. Taking your life back, otherwise you will just naturally go to whatever system is set up. And in Japan, the way they're working each other with this assumption about what good work is, 105 hours of overtime a month, it's too much. It's too much. And it's I guaranteed, uh, according to the researchers, it's not actually producing better work on your part. You are not a better employee by giving 105 hours of overtime. You're just not. You're not producing better work. I'll, I would put you head-to-head with anybody that is sitting there working an effective, uh, you know, 50 hours a week maybe, 40 hours a week. And um, I think I think they can – they'll outperform you. It, you can't burn the candle at both ends without it uh, eventually burning out. Uh, interesting stuff, folks. And again, it's your life. It's my life. It's our choices Yeah, well, I'm trapped in this crazy thing we call life. You're not trapped. You're at the driver's seat here, right? You're the one in charge. There's power when you finally put yourself in the driver's seat instead of being a victim of every other system in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you get a leg up in life.
Yes, folks, it's time for a little empty news here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the news that uh, you didn't even know was news. But you need to know it because it's in the news. Who better to help us with that than our empty news anchor, Jeff Simpson. The empty news team. First on the scene. Fifth on facts. (laughs) We take a bite out of crime. So, McGruff? Yeah. So, the reason I'm playing this song by the Beatles is because every one of our stories today involves somebody that really could use your help. Oh, really? Yeah, just... Excellent. It's it's so unfortunate because people make poor decisions, and sometimes it seems like maybe there's alcohol involved, and sometimes maybe they just can't exercise common sense. (laughs) So, uh, here's one that's interesting. There's a man that uh, was just trying to drop off his grandma at them all. I mean, how hard is that? Yeah. Just dropping grandma off. So this is in Jacksonville. He's in jail now after calling 911 on himself following a series of hit-and-run crashes. <laughs> the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. Hold on. The he man... called it on himself. Yes. That's nice. So the man who was in his 20s was dropping his grandmother off at a fundraising event at a local mall when he hit five cars in the parking lot Ooh. while trying to, to leave, police said. He said he was carjacked at one point. <laughs> I'm not sure if he meant like somebody was trying to steal his car. Maybe a split personality thing. Okay. Then he said he actually fell asleep at another point. Yeah, he, yeah. And just accidentally hit the cars. Then he said he bumped into the cars. Uh, We confronted him with camera evidence that the mall has, and he said, no, I hit the cars. (laughs) Oh, no, I I, nailed them. I nailed those cars. That's that's accurate. (laughs) Uh, I got scared, and I took off. After the man hit six cars in the parking lot, he took off on foot, went up an embankment, and down onto a nearby expressway, ending up near a Walmart. I bet Grandma was grateful to get dropped off. Yeah. Can you can you hit all those cars after you drop me off? Did she not notice that he was a little impaired? I don't know. It, well, he was apparently just really tired because he said he fell asleep. Yeah. Maybe he felt like he had an injury. His boots were covered in mud, and he had a lot of stickers in his pants from running. Maybe those were like the Walmart low price stickers <laughs> that he got. Discount. Um, investigators have not released the man's name, but said family members told them he shouldn't have been behind the wheel. The yeah. man was charged with five counts of hit and run and driving without a license. Oh, boy. At One least he trip. called himself. He, no, that's he good. turned himself in. But then so apparently that's good. he ran, right? So Yeah. Yeah. He was all over the place. He he was in. He was out. He was Maybe up, he was. Down. Is there something kind of like a, an under-the-influence triathlon where you start <laughs> off in the car, yeah. then you take off on foot, and then you end up in jail? Yeah, but you, and you, have to start right the, you have to start the race by calling in. Yes. Once you start the clock, then the yeah, police... Yeah, because that's, yeah, that's how you start the clock idea. officially. Yeah. So um, here's another guy that had a little run-in with the police, and uh, the police say they've never heard this excuse before. So the Iowa State Patrol says a man pulled over in Des Moines after a car pursuit told state troopers that he wanted to be chased <laughs> because it was on his bucket list. I've always wanted to be in a high-speed chase with the police. (laughs) Really? That's crazy. The man refused to halt a little before 7.30 a.m. Thursday when a trooper tried to stop him over a violation on Interstate 80. The 10 to 15-minute chase ended soon after he left the interstate. He was taken into custody. That's when the 46-year-old Des Moines resident shared his bucket list story with troopers. And as I said, they told the Associated Press they've never heard such an excuse. (laughs) You Mm. know, it's like they don't. I don't know. Do they not know what they're actually getting into? It's a police pursuit. Yeah. It's not something you want on your bucket list. 
But I guess that's something that could easily be said after the fact. Like once, you, maybe you think you're going to get away with it, and then when you get caught, you say, "Uh, I wanted that on my bucket list." Yeah, <laughs> bucket list. Oh, okay. Well, we won't arrest you then. Yeah. It's on your bucket list. Our bad. As long as you're happy. <laughs> was this a good race for you? Because it was great for us. Crazy stuff. Anyway, there you go, folks. Again, if if you uh, were wondering what it's like to be a human in in other bodies, there's two examples for you. How you would might, you help them? Just, Can we send him your way? Give him your number? No, let's just let's send him somewhere else. <laughs> it seems like too much work. They just don't get it. Ah, oh, the joys, folks. The joys of being human, and uh, we're all we're all in the race together. Hey, up next, uh, more fun right here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South, Jeff Simpson. The gang's all here. And we're ready, folks. We're ready to bring you an hour of power. Was that your Ethel Merman again? <laughs> yeah, every once in a while I drop into Ethel Merman. And then Hour of Power used to be a religious program on uh, TV when I was a kid. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Johnny Carson. I <laughs> uh, got a lot to talk about today. Today we're going to be getting into old age. It's not for sissies, folks. Ain't it the truth? But you're not getting old. I'm actually getting old. You actually, everyone is getting old. Yeah, but you look young and vibrant. A little stomach bug, and you, you, you lost seven pounds. I highly recommend it. I would love <laughs> to get one at least twice a year. Nah, really. In the moment, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I've gained but... <laughs> about the weight that you've lost. I've probably gained ten pounds because of my high ankle sprain. Really? Yeah. Tanner Mangum had a high ankle sprain, I believe. Was that what he had? Somebody else had a high ankle sprain. No comment. Okay. I was and told. Did he, he play the whole game? He was out there. Whether he was playing or not may be questionable for some people oh, who watched the game. You make it sound like he was the water boy or something. Why? He, BYU lost to Eastern Carolina University. Who? East Carolina. Who? Oh, East Carolina. Wait, who? Yeah. East Carolina University. They're mm. one of the worst teams in all of uh, NCAA, and yet they beat the they lot they beat the Cougars. I didn't even know there was an East Carolina. Oh yeah, there's actually a North Carolina, yeah. South Carolina. Yep. Is there a West Carolina? Probably. Got to be. If there's an East, there's got to be a West. Yeah. It's a it was a big loss for the Cougars. So we'll be talking to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up. Uh, what we you know what's next? What happens when you lose seven in a row? Yeah, now they're seven and one, one and seven. I mean, and they've got another supposedly weak team they're about to play, but <clears throat> you yeah. never know whether that is going to be the case or not. We'll find out, or if you don't want to watch, I guess you will find out later. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think they may be. Uh, I don't know. It, sometimes it's a little difficult when you're when you think there's going to be an outcome. Yeah, and it doesn't work your way. Well, the problem is, I think what what the media needs to probably start doing is they need to start just saying, "Not BYU is going to get crushed." 
They're going to lose bad. Oh, They're going to be reverse, reverse psychology. Yeah. And then when BYU almost pulls out a victory, everyone will be like, whoa, they were so close because they were supposed to totally lose that game. They still lost it, but it wasn't a yeah. total loss. I think that's the problem. It's probably the media's fault. And if you ask Trump that, he'd probably mm-hmm. agree. Yes. It's the media's he, fault. He talks about it quite a bit. So uh, maybe I'll bring that up with the good brethren from uh, BYU Sports Nation. We got a r- bunch of real dummies. So start with the negative. Yeah. Be surprised at any yeah. sort of positive. They outcome. don't accentuate the negative, maybe. Yeah. Accentuate, accentuate like the song. Well, I think the, isn't the song accentuate the positive? Yeah, but I'm trying a little reverse psychology here. Yeah, but you're not even a psychologist. Negative. Doesn't matter. Okay. I'm an, an expert at reversal. You are a reversal expert. Um Lot, lots to cover and a lot of interesting headlines. Uh, I mean, not a lot of them, but not a lot of them are interesting. <laughs> well, they're interesting there's, on there's some, some level. There's some intense stuff. Like we didn't know. We're finding out more about uh, our special forces operating in Africa. Yep. Which four of our special force uh, members died. A lot of questions about that. Uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? For all of President Donald Trump's overheated talk about North Korea's Kim Jong-un and the country's nuclear program, Trump will likely not make the customary presidential visit to the heavily fortified border between North and South Korea known as the Demilitarized Zone during his 12-day trip to Asia next month. He won't do it. He will not go there as of now. Trump, who will stop in five nations on his first presidential trip to Asia, has derided Kim as little rocket man and threatened to unleash fire and fury on North Korea if its leaders do not abandon their weapons ambitions. The White House said Monday that Trump was invited by Korean President to visit uh, Camp Humphreys, a military base about 40 miles south of Seoul, Korea. And at that time, and time constraints would likely not permit Trump to also travel to the border. In briefings uh, to reporters, the White House played down the notion that the decision stemmed from security concerns about the border visit and suggested that plans could still change. If Trump doesn't go, he would be breaking from recent presidential custom. The pres- all presidents but one since Reagan have made the visit to the DMZ, wow. which has separated North and South for 64 years. It's a real sign of defiance to the north by sending the president to the border yeah oh no totally well this is a scary one because you could see kim jong-un meeting him at the border and they just throw rocks at each other that would be interesting <laughs> if he just sort of pops in because you you can control all security you can't control the other side of the border no once you're there and and there's can he just pop through the other door there's a room that they, they when they do negotiations and the, 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 i don't know if it's still there but there's a split down the middle and he could just walk in the door when when president trump walks in and be oh you're here that wow. would be great video though yeah can't you just see them both startled? <laughs> well, <laughs> love to see the two of them on like a Mari Povich show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Find out who their fathers are. <laughs> Not the father. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, other news. The U.S. Air Force is posed to return uh, nuclear-equipped B-52 bombers to ready-to-fly positions on runways at the Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. Defense One, a website reports, the planes used to be a fixture on runways during the Cold War, but have not been on 24-hour alert status since 1991. The world is a dangerous place, and we get folks that are talking openly about use of uh, nuclear weapons. Air Mm. Force Chief of Staff General David Goldfind uh, explained in the, the report, it's no longer a bipolar world where it's just us and the Soviet Union. We've got other players out there who have the, uh, you know, weapons capabilities that they're talking about. So we could have a whole fleet of B-52s ready to go at moment's notice. 
Is that okay? Which seems like it's ramping up. Yeah. Tension for. I'm not sure if we B-52, need that at the moment. By like, the way, Love Shack, baby. No, these are airplanes. Oh, okay. By, by the way, uh, I had a great lesson mm. in um, from a Georgian. Okay. Uh, Post Soviet Union Georgian person. Uh, who so, gave like me a the lesson. country of Georgia, the country of Georgia, not, not the state well, you just, visited last I was week. In Georgia, yeah. okay. And my cabbie was a Georgian. Interesting. Whoa, he wasn't a cabbie. My was driver wrong, was a Georgian. Was he in the wrong country? He, he, it was fascinating. Okay. I got an incredible lesson. Sometimes you get on the wrong airplane, you end up on the wrong no, side of the planet. Okay, it was like it home was, alone. It was yeah. wonderful, and I learned so much about Russia. Yeah, and why it all fell apart. Money, lack of it. And corruption, oh. and why today today's Russia is much more corrupt than previous regimes. Right, if regimes is the word you'd use. But anyway, it was a fascinating history lesson. Oh, wow. From that, that's the benefit of getting out of the building. Hmm. And now I have I have probably a bachelor's in Russian history, or at least Georgian history. Georgian history, yeah. But he gave me the whole Soviet Union history. Oh, nice. And how it applies to Georgia. Oh, wow. The Republic of Georgia. We should get him on the show. Yeah, we ought to. I've got his card. <laughs> Call the cabbie. You bet. In other news, Amazon will be sorting through 238 proposals from cities and regions in the United States, Canada, and Mexico that are hoping to land the company's second headquarters and the uh, investment it'll bring. The online retailer kicked off its hunt for a second home base in September promising 50,000 new jobs and construction spending of more than $5 billion. Proposals were due last week, and Amazon made clear that tax breaks and grants would be a big factor in deciding what uh, entry prevails. Amazon.com Inc. did not specify which cities or metro areas applied, but many of the locations have made their their, uh, interest public. They talk about what they're doing. The company said Monday that proposals came from 43 U.S. states, Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, as well as three Mexican states and six Canadian provinces. Wow. Mm. They all want a piece of this. This is quite the competition. We're, We're on the list, aren't we? No. I think what? Utah does I mean, have a state. They, or it has they, a they set a proposal in, but not big enough. They need more people, and it'll be in, like, New York or Boston. Well, there was one, hmm. there was one group that would actually name the entire town after Amazon. Yeah. They'd call the town Amazon. Right. And then they'd import really tall, large women. There you go. <laughs> this is weird. Superheroes all around. These states. And now, of course, in honor of Dr. Ron Hager. Yeah. Junk food update. Oh, good. Dr. Ron's going to be joining us. And he nothing he loves more than a good Twinkie. So uh, Taco Bell has a uh, chocodilla. Ooh. It is a quesadilla, but it's made with chocolate. And in this case, they're going to do it with Kit Kats or Twix bars. Now, so you put you wrap that in a tortilla. You take a tortilla and you melt chocolate in it and eat it. Well, that's it's called dessert, high class dessert apparently. A chocadilla. It may cost you a dollar, depending on locations. Apparently, they had them in the UK and other places uh, internationally, and now they're going to try to implement them here because you know chocolate in America it goes but together. That's not that. even. That's not even like Mexican cuisine. No, but most of Taco Bell Neither is Mexican is that, cuisine. Yeah. It's just it's food. But churro, do something with a churro. They want something uh, churro. Maybe you can send a message to their PR department. I am right now because they're pretty happy about it. They love also our show. there's a company in Spain that is a fruit company that is talking about their new product, Diet Avocados. 
What? Uh-huh. And it's called Avocado Light, 30% less fat than your standard avocado. <laughs> New avocados also ripen faster and maintain their ripeness longer than other brands. Okay. The company says the avocado light variety will have a mild flavor and all the creamy dreaminess that avocados are known for. Creamy dreamy. Creamy dreamy. I've never seen I've never thought of a uh, an avocado as a creamy dreamy. Yeah. Aren't they expensive enough without having to make them light? Well, yeah. they're they're expensive because apparently everyone is smashing them on toast. Yeah, yeah, avocado toast. Those greedy monkeys. Right. It's By ridiculous. the way, my grandchild eats avocado all the time. Loves it. My daughter loves it too. I never tasted it until I was like 20. Yeah. It, it, is it a, always had a weird texture. And now you could have it with 30% less fat. Hmm. Okay. Possibly. Um, there's a hotel, the Weston, the, excuse me, the Weston Hotel in New York is offering a Alba white truffle cream cheese, goy, goyja berry infused resling mm. jelly with gold leaf flakes. It's a bagel what? with gold encrusted bagel for $1,000. Oh, hmm. who's buying that? Uh, someone with $1,000. I think we 1, had some of those. Gold encrusted bagels at our breakfast yesterday, didn't yeah. we? Those were they were gold and they were crusted. And finally, spam in Hawaii is such a uh, hot, wildly popular mystery meat product that it's behind cases. Like you know, you go to the grocery store and they have all the razors that are all locked in a yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to go get some from the store to open the case so you can get your spam. Wow, what's so? Mm. They, just, they eat just... five million tons of can the canned meat every year on Hawaii. The island. Man. Right. So uh, apparently when they do that, there's fluctuations in its availability. Yeah. So people steal it. Oh, it's, it's a So hot that when commodity. you have the lows, they, yeah. they, it's out there. They can they yeah. can sell it out, I guess, the trunk of their car or something. But this, uh, this station here, the uh, TV station KHON in Hawaii says, extra security follows as a theft last month in which a man took off from a with what? Eight cases of spam. Holy. Did he have a, a security guard with him? No. It says the same month, three women were foiled while trying to steal 18 cases of spam from oh, another uh, grocery store. These people. Earlier in the month, a man punched a security guard at a Honolulu mall and escaped with a single case of spam. Spam! Spam! So, lots, spam. lots of spam-related crime. This and, is and crazy. It, and it goes into an organized crime situation. Oh, There's sure. There's syndicates yeah, that are selling get, this in the black market. And the market. mafia gets involved. I might remind you, I still have never tasted Spam. What? Never. You're missing out. I will test the Spam if Terry brings in his trombone uh, and favors us with Chariots of Fire. If you happening. missed last hour, Terry was bragging about his ability to play Chariots I of didn't Fire. Brag. On and he's never bragged on the show before. It was before. more just a mention. Just a, this is a guy that doesn't brag. An odd sort of anecdote of my life. But you brought up the fact that you got lips that kill. Well, I used to. I don't anymore. And I didn't really then because I didn't really practice. So, you, but so I was average. Are you going to commit right now? No, hot li- I think they called them hot lips Terrell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly not what they called me. Hot lips Terrell. Uh, yeah. So will you commit that no. the next time you go to mom and dad, you're going to go down into the basement, pull out the trombone? See, I don't even know if it's still there. It's there. They wouldn't get rid of something like that's a piece of history. Mm. I think there's a curse that's been placed on it by now, though. I actually had two trombones. One of them was my dad's. <gasps> Have your dad play and with he you? He passed it down. Well, he hasn't played in a while either. I know, but either of you. Yeah. This is. I'm going to cry. <laughs> if you both played a trombone duet, mm. chariots of fire, trombone duet. No, then we'd have to put some effort into it. And he doesn't know the song. 
<sighs> hey, these are two great selling points for the Matt Townsend show becoming a TV show, by the way. Yeah, oh. I agree. Terry playing the trombone and no. me eating spam on live TV. I can't believe you've never had spam. Never. This is, that's what not about a hard like, thing to get. What about like Vienna sausages? Actually, apparently it is a hard thing to get. In Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> but in Provo, Utah, in Orem, have, Utah. Have you had Vienna sausages? I don't think so. Have you oh, had corned yeah. beef? Uh, mm. Corned beef. Um, Hash? Like out of the can. No, not, not, not the, out of the not can. The good kind. I've only had corned beef, real corned beef, once, so definitely not out what of the can. What about my favorite to see on the uh, canned meat aisle, the potted meat? It doesn't even tell you what kind of meat. It just says it's meat. And it's been potted yeah. in a plant. Ooh, nope. No. no, they all have a pull tab, yeah. which I always or, or my dad. The corned beef had like the roll around yeah. the can little oh, yeah. thing. It just seemed kind of odd way to open a, no, but, a food product. But but it goes back to the fifties and mm. it goes back to Nam. I mean, it goes back to war days, World War Two. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Well, I remember they used to feed the soldiers. Well, I don't remember because I was not there, but I've seen a movie. It was on PBS. Yeah, totally moving. In more ways than one. That's all I'll say about that. Can't believe you guys. You're not going to do your trombone. Nope. I'm willing to eat the spam. Okay. I'll eat spam. I'm not going to play my trombone. I know, but spam, then it's just like we're just I having think he a should, little appetizer. Now I think he should eat spam while playing the trombone. See, uh, then the trombone gets all mucked up. Yeah. Then there's more than spit coming out. That's right. Spam. Sp- empty the spam valve. <laughs> so, yes, just for the record, no on the trombone. Okay. Good. That means we'll just have to. Jeff, why don't we? Uh, why don't you and I work something out? Maybe we can find some old audio of him playing trombone. Do you have all of uh, his family contacts? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, I talk to his mom every day, working stuff out. Uh, we got some great uh, information straight ahead. Dr. Ron Hager, our health evangelist, will be joining us. He's going to talk about how old age is not for sissies. You gotta. You gotta really. Uh, you got to be strong. You got to be tough to make it into the uh, the old age category. I'm starting to feel my body slowly drift that way. Up next, uh, learning what we can to uh, live healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. for a miracle and who better to bring it than dr ron hager ron is the we like to call him the man the myth the legend he is a professor here at brigham young university in exercise sciences in the college of life sciences his expertise is in chronic disease prevention he used to be called the death preventer but then he felt like that was giving him too much power (laughs) so you know i never knew that I was known as the man, the myth, the legend. Oh, yeah. That's what, we, that's what we call you. I'm always like, when's the man, the myth, the legend going to be on? And they're like, oh, you mean Ron? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Didn't you not know? We talk about you no. all the time, Ron. No, I didn't know that. But it's That's great. a great honor because that's, you know, what they call Chuck Norris, too. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right up You're there in good Chuck. company. <laughs> you and Chuck Norris. But Ron mm. uh, always helps us um, with life and being healthy. And you just went down to the uh, World Olympic, the World Senior Games. Huntsman. Huntsman World Senior Games. Huntsman World Senior Games. How about this for a fact that probably a lot of people aren't aware of? So the Huntsman World Senior Games is an annual event for people 50 years old and older who want to compete. Uh, And not not everybody there necessarily is, you know, a passionate competitor. A lot of people just go for the 
the social interaction. Yeah. But I mean, there are former Olympians that show up. I mean, so there is some stiff competition as well. And just about don't don't use the word stiff. Yeah, there you go. And seniors, because a lot of them are stiff. Serious competition. Yeah. Uh, but uh, a lot of different events down there. I mean, everything from archery and and badminton to you know tennis, softball. golf, swimming, softball, track and field events. So cool. Anyway. Uh, how about this for a statistic that I'm sure a lot of people don't know? There were more registered participants at the Huntsman World Senior Games this year than there were at the Rio Olympics. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Over 10,500 registered athletes from all 50 states. Holy and, cow. And more than 25 countries. That's why you love it because it is the most – it's a perfect sampling oh, yeah. of healthy seniors. Yeah, we go down to collect data. We're not just collecting data on – you know, local people. We're collecting data on people from all around the world. And what I do is I, I, I extend the invitation to students. There's yeah. a there's a health screening that we do down there that's free for all the registered participants and guests. Uh, it's you know fourteen fifteen stations. I mean, we do everything from carotid artery ultrasound screening do to you really? to uh, lipid panels. You know, we, we're uh, telling people what their cholesterol level is and so forth. Um, and and I take I train the students and take them down there. Uh, we had about seventy students this year from BYU over the two weeks that went. Um, you know, fifty one of them were getting internship credit. That's great. So that that's kind of cool. And I also work with a guy, another professor from UVU, Utah Valley University, and he he's a nursing professor, Gary Meesum, and he brings some of his students down too. And then there's also some students that show up from Dixie State University and Southern Utah University. And and there's people down there doing research and people down there just, you know, volunteering. That's great. It, it's just a really awesome, positive How long have you been doing it? 18 years. So you've got this longitudinal data set that mm-hmm. you can – do you follow up with – do they come back and you follow up yeah. on their levels again? Yeah. So this is such a well-organized uh, games event. You know, there are, there are senior games events all around the country. And, and even around the world. I mean, there's a World Senior Games event. Uh, Nike has a uh, like a World Masters hmm. kind of a thing. But each state in, in our country usually has uh, a Senior Games event. There's a National Senior Games event that goes every other year. Um, but this one is so well organized and and so uh, well respected. They have a they have better than an 80 percent return rate. Are you serious? Yeah. So there, I, I've known people down. I've been going there for 18 years, but the games is uh, now in its thirty-first year, and there are people down there. They wear these name badges. They give them a badge, and on that badge, there's a number that indicates how many years you've come. And I see people all the time down there that are, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-five, twenty, hmm. twenty-eight years. They've been coming to these. What are you games. learning about aging? Well, you know, a lot of it's uh, attitude, uh, but I, I, I'm always drawn to this question when I, or this statement when I'm down there. Especially when I see kind of the students, they're, they're you know, they're, they're mid-20s mm-hmm. maybe as their average age, and they're kind of blown away. They go down there with this sort of preconception, if not misconception, of what it means to get older. And a lot of it has to do with what they've seen directly. Yeah. They've had opportunities, for example, maybe to go to a nursing home or an assisted care facility to sing Christmas carols at Christmas time. And they see people in wheelchairs and people who can't stand up and people who need care. And and granted, there are people who legitimately need that, but, but this is what they think it means to get older. They go down there, they meet 70, 80, 90-year-old <laughs> people. Javelin throwers yeah. at 90. Yeah. So 
I, I asked, I asked, I always ask my students, you know, did your perception of what it means to get older change? And they're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe, hmm. you know, what I used to think compared, this is how I want to be yeah, totally. when I get older. So it's a great example for them. Uh, one, one woman who's come many years, her name's Dottie Gray, she's from the Midwest somewhere. <clears throat> she, she came into the health screening, she had seven gold medals around her neck for track and field events. How great. And she's 92 years old. Unbelievable. And she started running uh, when she was 56. So So, great. so, so a couple of lessons Later there. Later in life. Matt. Yeah, so it's, uh, there's a couple of lessons there, right? I mean, for one is it's never too late to start. Yeah. I've got a couple other examples I'd like to share with you too. Um, and the other one is uh, it, it's kind of like, like, this, like, like this statement I just said I wanted to mention. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? Yeah, yeah. And you go down there. And you see these people in basketball, volleyball, I mean, some intense sports. They got mountain biking. They got road cycling uh, and, and a lot of different road races, uh, you know, tennis, singles, doubles, racquetball. They've got it all. Uh, sure, they have some other things that are a little less uh, physical in nature, like lawn bowls or, uh, you know, whatever, uh, different kinds of activities or sports like that. They even have, uh, you know, kind of some just sort of some social kinds of engagements as well that don't really involve competition at all. But like I said, a lot of people enjoy that. They like that. Well, it stimulates the mind. Sure, sure. But what we found, uh, you know, with the data that we've collected down there is that these people, they they have lower blood pressures. They have have better cholesterol profiles. They, you know, we we even have a station down there at the health screening where they can participate in kind of a a brain stimulation, uh, sort of a cognitive decline risk factor assessment. Hmm. Yeah. And and we find that these people do very well on that too into their later years. Now, it's all I guess sort of cross-sectional data. So you know, you can say well, maybe it's just that people with low blood pressure automatically, you know, kind of migrate to those kinds of things. Right. I and, and you know, my, the, the the data we've collected cannot you know, make some kind you, you know, you can't make some kind of cause and effect statement, you know, that well because they do this then right. this happens. But but look, we're looking at people from all over the world consistently over over many years, and uh, you know there are modifiable risk factors for disease. Uh, we've talked about them many times: smoking, drinking too much alcohol, uh, being overweight or obese, not getting enough physical activity, eating a poor diet. I mean, these are all things within our control. Mm-hmm. And these people that are down there—not everyone, obviously—but most of them, I have to say, most of them, they take these things very serious. And when they come through these screening stations, they're genuinely interested. You know, a lot of times you might have to kind of poke or prod somebody. Not these people. They want to know. They want to know, what is my cholesterol? And if it's not where it should be, what should I do to make it's it interesting. better? They know. They're proactive in their health. Absolutely. They're, they're totally passionate about it. And they're down there. You know, they're, they're trying to set records down there. So great. And, and, and get this. Uh, you know, some people say, oh, that's so sad. But I, I haven't heard if it happened this year. But it's not unusual, you know, in a given year for one or more people to die. Oh, I, no, don't, I believe that. Just Down there, the, like, the sheer numbers. Like like on a basketball court. Right. You know, a, a person has a heart attack and drops dead. And people think, oh, I, I knew they shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah. Are you serious? No. I mean, what would you rather them do? Uh, sitting d- at die, home? Die sitting in a rocking chair in an right. assisted care facility? Right. I mean, somehow that's better? No. No, not at all. Uh, it, you know, I mean, age is probably the most significant risk factor for death. You yeah. know, the older you get, the closer you get to death. And, you know, in the in the in all of the studies that have been done, that's one factor that's always controlled for, right? You have to control for it. 
because the older you are, uh, the more at risk you are of dying. Uh, but the, these people, it, it's not about death that they're concerned about. It's more about living. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they, they just want to live life to the fullest. And so th- there's a big, I think there's a big attitude element about this as well. That's that's actually, to me, what your, what your research is showing is there is an attitude to health that you – and and a life you can you can just sit there and wait for the doctors to tell you what's going to happen to you, yeah. Or you can start leading your life, yeah. And obviously, you know, you don't have to participate in competitive senior events in order to live a long, healthy life. Right. But you do need to you do need to take care of yourself, and you have to be careful too, because I know some people use uh, bad examples to kind of justify their pessimism. Yeah. You know, they say, "Well, I knew somebody that." You know, basically, smoke twelve packs of cigarettes a day. Yeah, and, you know, they they did everything wrong and they lived a long, healthy life. So they use that one ex- case in point to right. say, yeah. So, you know, to heck with everything. I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. Yeah. But if you know, if you want to use common sense, then you look at the population, you look at the masses, and that, you know, while that's the rare exception, those things do happen. And converse to that, you'll also, you know, come across people who do everything right. You know, and they and they die from cancer at 38 years old, right. or whatever. And so, and so, you know, you can use either one of those to justify your own bad behavior and say nothing matters. So who cares? Uh, but, but, but that's just not the case. You look at the the majority of the people, the masses, of the populations that have been studied, and the ones who have the right attitude, the ones who make the effort, uh, the ones who uh, try and you know modify those risk factors that are modifiable. Uh, tend to tend to live the longest, healthiest lives, and who doesn't? And I'm not suggesting that our passion should be living forever. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not talking about searching for the fountain of youth here. Right. We're talking about maximizing your health and function during your life, no matter no matter how long it is. Right. And and this leads to a, a statement, uh, another statement called compression of morbidity. Morbidity means disease. So compressing the amount of disease to the least amount possible, especially at the end of your life. I mean, everybody's going to have ups and downs with their health throughout their life. But it's not uncommon for people to have uh, disease-related disability for a significant amount of time at the end of their life, maybe even five or more years, hmm. where where you know, a person has a heart attack or a stroke uh, or, or something else happens to them related to their health. And it's kind of a slippery slope, and then from that point on, you're just sliding. You know, and and I've it's it's very sad, but I've actually known and met people who, in their later years, you know, the last three or four or five years of their life, they 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 dwell, literally spend a lot of their time thinking on and, and wishing that they were dead, mm. and and that's just no way to that's no way to, to end. live. Yeah, so this idea of compression of morbidity, which also has been studied. Uh, I think it. I think it was a term coined by a professor, maybe at Stanford, or if I, I can't remember for sure. Was, I think it might have even been a doctor. Uh, but it, it's been studied. It's been substantiated in the research that yes, y- how you choose to live your life can actually compress morbidity or disease. So that you know, it, like I said, even if two people lived the exact same lifespan, you know, if one had you know eight years of disability at the end of their life and the other one had you know uh, eight weeks of disability at the end of their life. You know, which one do you want to be? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you know the most important or, or the, the, the most common excuse that I hear for people who say, well, I don't have 
uh, you know, time is, is uh, <laughs> th- that's what they say. I, I, and it doesn't matter. It's not just for exercise or, or being physically active. It's for everything. It's yeah. for getting enough sleep. You know, I don't have time for that. Eating a healthy diet. I don't have time for that. Like, how do you not have time? Like, it's a choice. Yeah. And, and you know, I, somebody told me once that whenever they hear the excuse, uh, I don't have time, they say they like to ask three questions. What's your favorite hymn? What's your yeah. favorite flower? And who do you want to sing at your Let's funeral? Let's prepare that funeral. Yeah. So it's uh, – these people down at these senior games, uh, they don't make excuses. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and, and you, But you bring up a good point that they – I mean, some might start later, but none of them. They, most of them, I'm going to bet, didn't have a perfect life of no. perfect health. And no. I mean, it might be they had to pick up something after a heart attack to then get healthy, and now all of a sudden they're coming to the games, or um, you know, they had to prevent other things that would have been handed down genetically. These are people that are just like you and me. Yeah, and and they're not some some large group of of uh, genetically blessed people yeah. either. There's there's every variety and kind of person. There's people down there who are struggling with losing weight. There are people down there who are struggling with pain from arthritis. Mm. But but I, what I'm saying is they're, they're working through it. They're figuring it out. They're doing what they can. They're not giving up. Yeah. And that's that, that seems to be one of the biggest keys to me is it's an, it's an attitude. Just, kind of and you can't and you can't give up. But it, that's that's the key. Is the, it is an attitude. It's we, a paradigm. Yeah, we have a functional strength station down there where we where we test people on core stability. They do like a, <laughs> a front plank, a supine bridge with leg extension, a wall sit. Oh my uh, So they're doing all this. And we had a a guy. I, I was sitting at a table just kind of watching the students run this station. And this guy comes in, and one of the athletes, uh, gray hair, fairly tall, like at least six one, maybe six two, pretty lean. Uh, you know, didn't look like he was out of shape or anything, but, but you could tell, you know, this was an old man. And he looked like, when when he got into the, the plank position, he looked like he was made of stone. I mean, he was <laughs> rock solid. That's good. And, and, he, and he, he, he just blew the doors off of every part of this test. It's we, we do five different assessments for core strength and stability. And the students oftentimes like to do these assessments right alongside the participants. See if they can outlast to, to the see if they 70, can outlast 80 year old. Yeah, and this guy was 90 years old. Unbelievable. 90 years old. And he looked like he was 65. So, what you're saying, though, is a guy like that will probably be able to extend his, what'd you call it? More. Uh, compression. He, he'll, he'll be able to compress his morbidity, his, his disease. So, his disease will basically then, un, when he unravels, he will unravel in a really fast period of time, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a book that I use in my chronic disease prevention class called The Culprit and the Cure, written by Stephen Aldana. He uh, was a professor here when I was uh, here at the same time as him, and but he ended up leaving the university and went on to start a very successful uh, wellness company called WellSteps. But I, he, he wrote this book called The Culprit and the Cure, and I still use it in my class today. Mm-hmm. And he uses that term compression of morbidity you know, throughout the book. And he actually gives an example in the book of, of you know, his interpretation of, of compression of morbidity for himself personally. He says, I want to be 90 years old, hmm. and I want to be uh, snowboarding with my great-great-grandson and hit a tree and die. <laughs> and be done. Yeah. Like yeah. in a minute, done. Yeah. So, you know, in more ways than one, that's like the ultimate, yeah. you know, definition of compression of morbidity. Fully functional, enjoying life to the fullest, and then... Oof. When your when your time is up, you're done. And even if even if at eighty or whatever, 
you are in your healthiest stage ever and then you have to confront yeah. a disease, yeah. you're, you're still better off sure. being as healthy as you can be at that stage. And like I said, these, all, these, these aren't perfect specimens no. down here. These are people who have their, their, their own health struggles. But I'm just saying they handle it better uh, physically, emotionally, uh, in, in every way. And I think a lot of it just has to do with their lifestyle. Yeah. So if you're if you're talking to just the average listener out there, what what advice would you give them? What's one or two things they could do today that would get them either into the right mindset or, you know, on that path to a healthier? Well, I think one of the biggest uh, and most important pieces of advice I could give, and that I see, you know, represented down at the senior games, is uh, and and the example I gave you uh, too of. Uh, of um, Dottie Gray, who, yeah. who started when she was 56, you know, that's when she started running, is it's never too late. I, I just can't tell you how many people I run into, even in in fairly young age and in, in middle age, and they say, oh, it's too late for me. Uh. You know, and it's not too late. Um, so that, that, I think, is the big key, is to realize that, look, as long as you're living and breathing, you know, n- never give up. You know, yeah. always have hope and, and, and do what you can. You know, there was a study, th- this study is old. It's maybe, I don't know, 30 years old or more. Uh, So, you know, it's not new information, but a group of researchers went into a nursing home where they looked at something like 15 nursing home participants, and all of them except one was in a wheelchair. Hmm. And the one that wasn't used one of those walker things, you know, with the tennis balls underneath it to slide on the floor. And uh, they put them on a strength training program. The average age was something like 84. (laughs) That was the average age. And they put them on a strength training program, doing very mild things, but with resistance. Most of them, you know, they were doing these things while they sit in their wheelchairs. And they did this for like 12 weeks. And at the end of the 12 weeks, uh, all but one of them were up walking around. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is it's never too late. So, yeah. so don't, don't give up. And in fact, well, I'll, I'll tell you, and I, I think we need to are, yeah. we, are we going to a yeah. break yet? And then I'll, I've got a couple other examples I'd like to share just to, I don't know, motivate people. Okay. You know what? Let's do this, though, uh, because we won't be able to come back, oh. Ron. Oh, oh, we won't. What's okay. The, give, us, give us one of them. Okay. Let me, just, let me just tell you about um, uh, Mavis Lindgren. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm sure she's passed away by now because in 1997, she set her 11th record at the huh. Portland Marathon at age 90. <laughs> okay. So, and, so she was 90 in 1997. She ran her first marathon at age seven, or I mean, 70, 70, at age 70. And at 90, her health was excellent. Her mind was sharp. Um, she said she hadn't missed a day of training in seven years. So, okay. so there's, there's a level of yeah, commitment. Yeah, there's hope. Right? And when she was in her mid-60s, she had a lot of health problems. Uh, you know, asthma. She, was, she had frequent bouts of pneumonia and, and other problems that were afflicting her. And 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 she said, you know, enough's enough, and uh, so and, and, cool. and she she took up running. That's it, yeah. And then she never looked back. And she, and she started at seventy. She set a, you, uh, she set a marathon record at age ninety, her eleventh marathon record in Portland. <laughs> you know? But the thing is, it seems like too, the older you get, there's fewer people racing in your category. That's right. You're going to win a medal. That's right. Yeah, you just show. It's up. worth hanging on just because you're going to get a medal. Yeah. So I mentioned Dottie Gray. She ran the fifty, the one hundred, the two hundred, <laughs> four hundred, eight hundred, sixteen hundred, and thirty-two hundred. <laughs> Who's in your category, yeah. right? Who yeah. can keep up with that? Yeah. Well, if the, if you're not, if there's nobody in your category, then you go down. 
an age group. Then you have to go down. Yeah, play no, with the uh, youngsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play with the the eighty five to eighty nine year olds. <laughs> That's amazing, Doctor Ron Hager. Thank you so much. Such great insight. I think for all of us, and hope uh, really that we could shift our mindset a bit. It's never too late to uh, to take advantage of your and, and be healthy and, and do what you can to get healthier. Dr. Hager is an expert in uh, chronic disease prevention here at BYU in the uh, Department of Exercise Sciences in the College of Life Sciences. And we're honored to, to call him a friend and to have him on the show. We will continue the journey speaking of uh, fitness with two of our great uh, fitness uh, specimens. Spencer and Jerem up next on BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back, friends. A little tribute to L.A. Dodgers. Randy Newman, I love L.A. But what about Houston? Jeffrey. Jeffrey Liam Simpson loves him, uh, loves his Dodgers. And uh, who, who better to help us sort through not just the World Series, but the BYU game uh, than our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Is Liam really Jeff's middle name? Yeah, it is. Are you serious? Jeffrey Liam Simpson. What? Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, he's name. he's got Liam written all over him. Yes, he does. You know what I mean? Hey, we it was great. It, it was great to show. Exactly. It was great to spend the day with you all at our company retreat. It was good. We uh we were treated. We yeah, were, it was great to uh, see you when you tried to trip me as I was coming across the aisle in the movie theater. There. Well, I'm like, who gets who tries to walk in the middle of a movie in the and just like make all the noise like you did? Who does? Who else that? is me, Matt? I'll be honest. Lauren McLean got up two or three times. Did she too? <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't alone. I tried to push you a little bit. And when, well, by the way, everyone when, needs a good push. When I when I grabbed, oh, physically, Spence, yeah, I, I physically grabbed his arm, and he is ripped. Right. He's got a gun. Right, got them muscly arms. Or he was—I think he maybe was sneaking in some milk duds into the theater. You weren't supposed to tell anybody that. Yeah, because I—I I had chocolate all over my hand after don't, I grabbed his arm. Don't call the BYU offense milk duds. That's just mean. <laughs> hey, uh, you guys! Oh my heavens, we've got so much to talk about. There's yes, we do. To talk about. So here's what we're thinking here on the Matt Townsend show. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, yeah, BYU yeah, yeah. needs a little reverse psychology okay. because we keep we keep talking with hope. That they could win the next game, yeah. but maybe what we ought to do is just say they don't have a prayer of winning the next game. <laughs> there is no way on earth they will be able to beat. Are they playing San Jose? They're playing San Jose State. They can't BYU beat them. Opens a- <laughs> you just need to say it that way, and then everyone will be so pleasantly surprised if they win. Trust here's me. The, here's the Trust problem. Me, everyone's going to be pleasantly surprised if BYU wins. <laughs> BYU is a two touchdown favorite in this game. <sighs> Can you believe that? How bad is San Jose State on paper? People are like, well, wasn't BYU a favorite at ECU? That almost doesn't matter. The result's different than what Vegas thinks. BYU's 1-7, one of the worst offenses in the country, yet is a double-digit <laughs> a two-score two- favorite over somebody. Yes. yeah, that's, Over Timview High. That's like, horrible. Somebody, yes. BYU is going to win a few games. It's just how many. And which ones? BYU's right? going to win Saturday. They will win Saturday. Are I you know, sure but, you want to do that, Jerem? They maybe. will win Saturday. If if BYU loses Saturday, will Spencer you shave will your shave head? his head. <laughs> Spencer will shave his head. <laughs> we will throw a pumpkin off the roof. Oh, do that anyway. Let's yeah. do that anyway. That's we will shave fun. a pumpkin and throw it off the roof. Ooh. 
I want to be there for that. Your head. Nope. Do it, boys. I don't want to throw your head off the roof. That got weird quick. Yeah, I that apologize. Got, that yes. got really dark. It is the, late October. The and it is Halloween-ish, <laughs> right? Graham Jordan are not reflective of BYU Radio, BYU Broadcasting, or BYU University, or the LDS Church. Wow. BYU TV. See the dead in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Big news for BYU Radio yesterday. Yeah, boy. Yeah. There, so That it, means you have a local footprint. So, yeah, we will now have a local show. That's great. And as will you. Yeah, we... Uh, yeah, we're excited about that. We know that uh, you'll have a local classical eighty nine has been a, a staple for a long time. Uh, you know, so I, I'm sure that decision was tough to make. Yeah, but can you we imagine? Are, uh, we are excited to have a, a local footprint. I think it's a, it's plus uh, the the bad thing is I don't I didn't never knew much about classical music. I always felt bad that well, there's a reason you're on BYU radio. Like yeah, that. I know I'm not on the classical side. I'm on yeah, the yeah. Yeah. no, I hey I get it. My first thing here. Was volunteer with Mark Waite on Friday afternoons doing traffic on his show, Classic 89. Really? That's where it all began. In, in the Harris Jordan. Fine Arts Center. That was look the first thing you. I ever did here. Yeah. And look at how it turned out. I I would say, I would say I'm the Michael Candy, but anyway. Oh, yeah. No, no, absolutely. You, People are like, who's that? You guys, let me just tell you something about you two that I noticed. Um, you're, you're a lot more fun in person than you are on television. I don't know how to take that. Thank you. It's a compliment. <laughs> you guys are incredible. You're good people. And good sports. You you make you make great comments. Uh, Jerem made a great comment. I can't remember what it was, but I did write it down. <laughs> it's in my journal. It was a really good comment. In your journal. You yeah. Get out of here. Uh, hey, you guys are still doing your show today, though, right? We are. What, yes. What's what's coming up on your show in just about five minutes? We are discussing aggression. Oh, good. In Mother Nature. Oh. This here is the fierce snake, Matt. <laughs> Scary. The most aggressive snake in all the world. Ew. Now, we were talking about aggression because yesterday that was the buzzword for head coach Kalani Satake during his football press conference, talking about how his team will be and needs to be more aggressive. But what in the world does that even mean? Yeah, right. We don't know, but we're going to talk it out. Blaine Fowler. Uh, Stocking it out. Blaine Fowler will join us. Uh, also, head coach Dave Rose of uh, BYU Basketball. They play the Cougar Tip-Off Wednesday. And then they added a, an exhibition Friday, a third exhibition, almost a fourth, if you will. They're like exhibitionists. They're exhibitionists. Uh, in Albuquerque against longtime rival New Mexico. Uh, but all the all the proceeds from the game go to uh, Hurricane Harvey. Oh, Rays. perfect. So that's cool. And Dave Rose from Houston. Went to Houston. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big deal for him. He he asked to come on the show to talk about it. How great. And probably yeah. wants the Astros to win the World Series. Well, ask him if he's ask an Astros him. fan. That's a great question. Yeah. Because Jeff's a total uh, Dodger fan. And yes, I'm, he is. I think it's time that we have somebody that holds up the Astro yeah. banner. I love LA. What's funny is yesterday someone asked me to pick who I thought would win the World Series, and mm. I said the Dodgers in six games. And the first response was, oh, so you don't want the people of Houston to have anything happy in their yeah. lives? Yeah, you just want to tear down Houston like, even more? Wow. Oh, you, uh, really? Yeah, so you uh, you love hurricanes then? Yeah, uh, what is it? What's your problem? I bet like you hate Puerto Rico too. What's your like, problem? Like, no. If, if, <laughs> You're like, listen. Let's the make beat. everybody a winner. <laughs> They're the American League champs. Awesome, okay? People of L.A. don't have great weather. 
or Hollywood or every amusement park. Oh my heavens! Like, it's a tough existence. Okay, guys, I yes, just it's expensive. I got to let you go because I got to get you. I know you got to go get ready. You're you got to go get pumped up, get those veins flowing. I mean, I know you always do sit ups and planks before the show. So get on it. BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, straight ahead, folks, about four minutes. Four minutes of uh, until just pure bliss. But before we let you go, let us uh, cover a little hero story for you. In late August, a Michigan woman saved the life of a teenager who went into cardiac arrest at a restaurant. The woman performed CPR on the 15-year-old boy after he fell out of his chair in the middle of the Country Cabin restaurant. Robert Brown III and his father were searching for the women who saved his life, and they've now succeeded after a local news station's aired the stories about the search. Susan Pendergraft's phone exploded with text. Uh, messages. Pendergraft didn't know Robert or his father, but she knew she had to do something when the teen fell out of his chair and didn't get up. I said, Jim, her fiance uh, turned around. Something is wrong with that kid. He's shaking now. And she went and did CPR um, and, uh, and, and basically saved the guy's life. Police and firefighters arrived, took over uh, the CPR and, and gave the teenager a shot to revive him and bada boom, bada bing. It happened. So because of this one woman being at the right place at a restaurant at the right time, uh, this 15-year-old boy is alive. How cool is that? And she's a hero, folks. That's what makes a hero, just being there and being present and willing to act. And that's the show. We will be back again tomorrow. This is the Matt Townsend Show. BYU Sports Nation is up next.